we knew that adults cannot accept challenges to their conventional aesthetic. The, the aesthetic that they're bonded to, adults, if you, if you sort of assault that aesthetic, they will rage in this really primitive way. And so we, uh, we, we, um, we thought, well, maybe we can make it for kids because kids are much more open aesthetically than adults are. folks welcome to not a bomb podcast this is the podcast where your favorite movie that may have bombed at the box office or wasn't i don't know getting all the love from the critics it gets reevaluated, and we try to ask the question hey was it really a bomb <sighs> brad look let's just get through the intro Th- this stuck I- i'm so excited for this episode i'm troy with me is brad yeah brad, I, hey doing? hey don't skip over the fact that this is a monumentous day for me troy do you know why why, why is this a you finally followed me on instagram today <laughs> We've been friends for 13 years. You finally followed me on Instagram. It's a huge moment for me. I need to bask in it. Okay. Okay, Don't take this moment from me. In my defense, Instagram never told me. I I just assumed I was following you. We've been friends for 13 years and you have just now. Look, anyways, that's (laughs) not why this is, why I'm so excited for this episode. Yeah, I'm happy about Instagram. I figured it out. Social media, not my forte. But listen, um, tonight. God, I don't know where to begin. So one of my favorite podcasts, and when you're talking 13 years, like this voice has been in my ear for at least 13 years. Do you follow him on Instagram too? Uh, yeah, I do. Oh, probably before me. <laughs> yeah, before <clears throat> you. Um, this is, I, I don't know, if, if if we're the Little League and, and we're just playing baseball, this is like having Babe Ruth come and play a couple of games with you. So one of my favorite podcasts out there is The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And we received an email, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the most amazing hosts, Sammy, reached out and said, hey, guys, love your podcast and would love to be on the show to talk films with you. So just the stars align. And tonight we have none other than Sammy from The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Sammy, how are you tonight? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I'm I'm nervous. Yeah, well, I'm I, a little intimidated. Troy's follow follow me on Instagram now, so I'm yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In Troy's uh, defense, uh, I think I followed him before he followed me on Instagram. So it, I, that's how it works. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's so. I just joined Instagram about two months ago. Uh, so it took me oh. <laughs> a long time. I'm still, you know, I'm an old man. I just there's all this social media stuff and these newfangled technologies. It's too much. I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't think I, I posted my first photo on Instagram like last year. So <laughs> yeah. I'm catching up. Yeah. Well, um, I, I joined strictly for the reason of sharing what I've been watching, so I could talk with people. I quit doing it on Facebook because Facebook had become this quagmire of, well, just all kinds of things. And yes, and <laughs> it's a bit of a landmine in that. Yeah, one. and so I just walked away from that and thought, you know, I need to go somewhere where my friends are, the people that I love talking to. 
and um it'd be nice if they followed you back wouldn't it yeah it it does help brad it does really is this is this what i'm gonna hear like all night i should have never followed you you know when we're done i'm gonna unfollow you Um, but listen, Sammy, I, I'm telling you, this is a big deal for me, at least because you're one of the, I, when I first discovered podcasts, you're one of the, I guess, first ones I listened to. And, um, it was really you and Will, um, that really, I don't know, opened my eyes to a whole set of films that I just didn't know existed. And I, I thought I was pretty well versed, Uh but I still listen. You're on. You're on episode. I think 526 now. My, that's that's just amazing to me. Yeah, 526 episodes, standard episodes of the show. Uh, last week, actually, the show we just put out 526. The uh, the first film we did, Patrick still lives. We didn't, in true GGTMC fashion, we didn't celebrate this at all. Uh, Todd's usually doing the show with me nowadays. Will's got some stuff going on, but uh, a good friend of the show, Todd, who used to write for the blog for us for a long time. Uh, we shut the blog down, and so we we felt bad. You know, Todd did a lot of stuff for us, so we offered to let him come onto the show and become like a three amigo type of show. And uh, thankfully, he did because we're able to keep it running. But Patrick still lives from 1980. It was an Italian film we did this week, and that was the 1,000th film we've done wow. <laughs> on, on a podcast. And wow, uh, <laughs> 1,000. Yeah. And Jeez. there's still so many more that I want to talk about, and that that's what blows my mind the most. It's like you'd think after 1,000, you'd – Pretty much, you know, you got your list covered, right? But there's like so many. I mean, it, it just kind of it's overwhelming to think of how many movies that that we still want to talk about. But yeah, Patrick still lives was the one thousandth film, and it couldn't have been more appropriate because that is a a big cut of sleaze. I mean, that is that is one of the sleaziest movies we have ever done. Hmm. <laughs> I, I've been listening. Uh, I don't. It's one of those. Uh, the thing about your podcast is you 100% are picking up on films that I would a never know about, but then there's always a handful of movies that when I hear you talking about them, and this is a good example, it sounds so unbelievable because I've seen the original Patrick Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I, I didn't even know it, a sequel existed until you guys started talking about it. And I think this week was Todd's pick, right? He picked Patrick still lives in slither. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Slither, I've seen, but that, that's that's my favorite thing about your podcast. There's always, through all those episodes, you're picking stuff that I know about, and I love your guys' take on it, but then there's this whole just list of films that I never knew existed and um, just blows my mind when I go discover them. So I have a question for you, Sammy. I, I, one of my like top five movie-watching experiences actually involves you. Yeah. <laughs> and it was when we there was there was a bunch of friends and this had to be oh I don't know nine ten years ago yeah this was the last time I was together with you actually and if the, the, I would say physically this is the last time I was around you um no that's not true because we our families got together in Louisville oh yeah that's right at the at troll, the under, troll the, under the bridge yeah that's nice. right yes that's yeah. a good place yes yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about that Troy hey, about that <laughs> wow but then, yeah, this was our movie watching. So that was uh, the families and the kids and, and the wives getting together. And my right. wife was with us during this this movie watching thing we were doing. Um, but it it was one of my favorite Saturdays of all time. And we got up and I think we all congregated um, to like this this big living room. Do you remember what three movies we watched? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. I, I think one of them was... Oh. 
Oh my god, you really put me on the spot with that one, man. Serbian film? No, no, it, <laughs> it wasn't that. Was not. No, that I'm thing. telling you, you could not pick a better. I don't know, trilogy of films to watch with a group of like-minded people. It was so much fun. But I'm, I think one of them I'm just was curious, Lethal Action or something. Lethal, what was that name of Lethal that? Force Lethal was Force. the first one we watched. Oh, yeah, which is a movie that whenever I'm with a crowd of folks, it's like my go-to crowd movie. Yes, and as the weekend I got back from that, I like bought, I don't know, 10 or 12 copies. I think I bought all the <laughs> copies that they had available at Amazon Yeah, so I could hand them out to people. But yeah, that's what we started the day with, and it, it just blew my mind. Do you remember? And my wife, um, who would probably never watch these films, had so much fun watching these. So it was Lethal Force was the first one. Do you remember what the second one was? Oh, my God, Troy. Uh... I'll give you a hint. It was an Andy Sedaris film. Oh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii? Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which yeah. was oh, wow. an absolute blast. Yeah, that's, that's also and an amazing then, one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and then we ended it with one of my all-time favorite films before we kind of broke for for lunch. Oh, you got to give me a hint again because there's no way you I did remember. all this before lunch. <laughs> oh yeah, we we all got up. I, I we were having coffee. I think um, <laughs> yeah. we were just sitting around and we started yeah. putting movies in, and everybody was like, "Hey, have you seen this?" Now this third one was the one I picked. Oh man, what was it? It's a Lethal Weapon ripoff. Now, I, I, I'm drawing a blank. So, it was none other than the classic back in action oh. with Roddy Piper and Billy Blanks. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. I remember now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you we could not. Oh, God. That, 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 was was awesome. a, that was an amazing day. And then we also had that. Was it the night before? Or was it? I think it was the night before, right? We had the rapping thing, right? We did the rapping screen yes. up on the We watched on the sheets. Mario Van Peebles rapping. Yeah, it's one of the outside. best movie weekends I've ever had with any group of people ever. It may be my favorite movie weekend I've ever had, to be honest with you. It was just amazing. Uh, I agree 100%. So um, one of the things that we do, now I, I, that was just a trip down memory lane, but anytime Brad and I bring somebody new onto the show, we like um, our listeners to kind of get to know them. And we came up with this way, a sort of level setting and getting sort of a feel of what, I don't know, their opinions are on films, et cetera. So we come up with five questions mm -hmm. and we did not give you any hint of what these questions are. So it's a total surprise to you. Yeah. But we thought this would be a great way to kind of learn about Sammy. And folks, I can't say this enough. If you want to listen to one of the best podcasts out there about films, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, it'll totally just change your life. But... <laughs> We've got five questions for you, Sammy. So are you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be, yeah. Okay, so this one is related to your podcast, and, and it's it's something that I'm kind of curious about. What's been one of the strangest movies you've reviewed on the GGTMC? <laughs> oh, man. Where to start? I know you've had you've probably got a, a lot to pick from. Yeah, there is. I, I know the one... I, I still think the the strangest film we've ever done was a, a film called Zoo Zero with uh, Klaus Kinski in it, uh, where people portrayed animals. And uh, I, I can't explain it to you in words. It's one of those experiences where if I recommend it to you, you will either hate me <laughs> or you will love me because I turned you on to it. But it's... It's such a bizarre creation from uh, one of my favorite bizarre. It's not from him, but it's another director. I can't remember the director off the top of my head, but that's definitely the one that comes to mind. And of course, I always say Turkish Star Wars too because that thing. I don't know if you've. Ever I have seen, seen that. That that's a trip. 
that is uh yeah but you know for a podcast that specializes in weird cinema in some ways or just unseen stuff it's really difficult to narrow it down but zoo zero is about as good as i can do and i don't think is that fleischer is that a fleischer thing i don't think so i don't think so i don't remember who did zoo zero I don't, I, you know, you, there was a time, Brad, when I could recall these things oh. <laughs> right off the top of my head. I was on, I was on it. Uh, no, I get it. I get it. And then the I had kids, children and yeah, uh, the kids zap your brain cells. They I take them, they take that. them all away, man. They just take them all away. <laughs> I'm going to look it up while you guys are pontificating that. But yeah, the Sue Zero is the one that I think I had the strangest love hate kind of relationship with. It's from 79. It looks like, and uh, I'm trying to find out who the director is right now. Yeah. Alan Fleischer. Yes. Ooh. Look at that. Wow, Brad. <laughs> That's Frank is still trapped up, up here. Or was it? No, you look. Dude, my hands have been up here. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. You got the next question, Brad. All right. Uh, Sammy, who is your favorite comic book character? Oh, that's easy for me. Uh, Green Lantern is my favorite character. Ooh, which really? one? Uh, the Hal Jordan originally, but I, I love the Green Lantern concept. The idea of uh, kind of like space cops. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever done it quite. I mean, some of the animated stuff's pretty cool, and I love the comics, but uh, I just love the idea of the Green Lantern, the Green Lantern Corps, and and all that stuff. And my favorite color's green, so that might have something to do with it. But uh, yeah, I've always I've always been more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy. I'm probably one of the few I know, <laughs> um, but uh, I love comics. Uh, I couldn't tell you if I had the camera on, you could maybe see, but I. I own hundreds of thousands of comics. Oh wow! And uh, I've been reading them my whole life, and I still read them to this day. So, but yeah, Green Lantern is. Easy they ever going to try that movie again? They going to run that back? Here's when you know that you love Green Lantern. I actually like that movie. Oh, <laughs> the Ryan Reynolds film. Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it, I, I'm, I want to go revisit it because I'm kind of with you. There was a lot of hate that dumped on it. If only we had a podcast where we looked at films that did not do well or were critically panned. Yeah. You guys could do a superhero month on hmm. some uh, some bombs, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. We're definitely doing Dolph Lundgren's The Punisher then. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. that that's actually a good movie, man. <laughs> I love that film. I love it. And I, I yes, I agree. So, okay. I got the next one. If Hollywood made a movie about your life, who would you like to see play the lead role as you? <laughs> oh, I'd like to be kind of debonair and suave here and say like George Clooney or something. But the oh, reality I is I'm, I get that. I'm more like a slightly taller Jack Black. So uh, that's probably what I'd probably go with Jack Black. <laughs> his manic energy and his uh, build would probably be pretty, pretty concise. So I, you know, I tend to find the absurdity in everything. So I enjoy him quite a bit and I, I would like to see him do me yeah that'd be good i think that fits the person i would love i would go to that movie man yeah. i think that that would be oscar worthy that'd jack, be good jack black's a lot more talented than people give him credit for i know he's known to be this kind of wacky guy but he's a good actor man no i think he's good i think he's amazing all right brad next one uh what is your favorite film from your least favorite genre <laughs> is this where i say the notebook no um <laughs> no uh just looking at you brett <laughs> yeah the uh I do, I, for those who don't know i've been going back and listening to troy and brad's older episodes and the notebook came up quite a bit in the early parts oh, of the boy <laughs> yes it did yeah. which, there's another inside joke i'll share later that came up that's come up quite a bit too that i kind of joke with troy about earlier today but <laughs> um you know I, I i i don't really have a least favorite genre because i love everything movies but um 
I tell you the one that I don't dive into probably the most would be anime. I really don't dive into anime much. Uh, it's not really my thing. Tread lightly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like Brad's wheelhouse right yeah, there. So, you know, and I, I admire people that love it. I just can't do it. It just doesn't work for me. It works for me in video game format. I'm a big gamer, too. And it works for me in manga form. Uh, but something about the disconnection in the animation sometimes can be pretty rough for me. Now, you're going to have you put like Studio Ghibli in there, too. I do, but I, I okay. like Studio Ghibli. I just, matter of fact, I just watched Earwig and the Witch, the first computer animated one with my daughter. We just oh, watched yeah, that, that Sunday. That's on HBO Max. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Okay. It's pretty good. It's it's weird as you would expect. Uh, certainly culturally quite different. And my daughter, bless her heart, I mean, she watched it. I thought she it would go over her head, but she sat right there, right through it. So, so you're saying my what? What was it again? My least favorite or my favorite? Your favorite movie from your least favorite genre. So in saying anime, this is this is where the kind of dark side of me comes out. <laughs> and I and I and I I don't want people to think if they go and watch this film for some unknown reason, um, that this is me, but it's the Can one I take a guess? You can, uh, but give me one second. I just want to say that this one had the most profound effect on me, uh, in a kind of a negative way, but also kind oh. of a good way. In that it opened my mind to uh, other forms of anime. So I'll let you take a guess. Is it Ninja Scroll? It's not Ninja Scroll. I do oh, like okay. Ninja Scroll, though. Okay. I do like Ninja Scroll. I like Vampire Hunter D. I like Akira, obviously. Uh, there's a few others I like. I, obviously, I like them so much. They're just rolling right off my tongue right now. So <laughs> <laughs> The one that had a profound effect on me and made me realize, again, I've had these moments in my life where I've realized that maybe I'm not the film fan some of my friends are. Uh, was I think it's called Yuroka Sadoji, uh, Legend of the Overfiend. If you've never seen this thing, I warn you, it is, it may as it, it it's I think it's rated NC seventeen. It may as well be actually it may as well be hentai porn. Uh, but there's a lot of tentacles, and there's mm, there's a lot of schoolgirls, and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> so do not watch with kids. That's what I'll say. There's so that, what what was it about that? What, when you say it opened your eyes to like that form of film, like where it went or. Yeah, it was the first kind of, it was one of the first kind of transgressive experiences I've ever had. So if you, if you listen to our show, if you're listening to this and you're a listener of our other show of my show or our show, whatever you want to call it, the gentleman's got a midnight cinema. Anyway, I love transgressive cinema. I love cinema that gives you an impact. It, It can be positive. It can be negative. It can be, destructive but i want to have an emotional reaction that's what i go for and that might be just a tear in the eye or it might be a smile but it might also be total fear or i just want something to grab me the thing about that film that i'm talking about what what i realized was there are people out there that are thankfully more perverted than me (laughs) (laughs) and that i'm okay uh Obviously, I'd see saw things that I never thought I'd ever see, but it also just kind of opened my mind to what animation can do because animation is pretty great. Uh, I love animation, and one of the great things about it is you can do anything. Um, you really don't even with a pen and a paper or pencil and paper, you don't really even need a big budget. You just need time and and craft, and uh, it really kind of opened my mind to that. And it felt very handmade, uh, for lack of a better word. If you see the movie, that'll that'll probably that word probably won't uh, go over well, but. It's 
it was something about that that just kind of had that. And I've had these experiences in my life of, over and over with movies like Enter the Void, the Gaspar Noé film, or mm-hmm. 2001, which is a was a profound experience that I saw when I was, I don't know, five or six years old. Uh, I saw 2001 before I saw Star Wars. So, oh, wow. <laughs> wow, okay. So, <laughs> but I also saw Star Wars at a very young age, and it was a profound experience. I saw Jaws at a young age, but I also saw you know, foxes at a young age and little darlings and movies that are totally age inappropriate. They were all profound experiences that made me just kind of realize who I am and what I am. And I relate almost everything I am. This is getting really deep here. So I apologize. I'll get off of this in a second. No, this is, this is why we ask these questions. I mean, we get to know you, man, but stories to me, film, books, games, all that stuff, media in general, it, it helps me get through things and figure things out. I'm always trying to figure things out. My life, am I a good dad? Am I a good husband? Am I a good friend? Am I any of these things? And I'm always asking myself questions like that. And movies and films and books and all those things, movies and films, by the way, same thing. But they all help me process that information. So as gross as it might seem for anybody that goes out and sees Legend of the Fiend, I promise you, <laughs> some of your listeners have seen it. I know this because it was one of the few <laughs> hardcore animated, basically porn films you could rent in a video store. Like it took video stores years to figure out the kids should not be renting this thing. And we would rent wow. it like every weekend for a while. And All right, was, I'm going to have to check it out. <laughs> yeah, that's on my list now. I got to see, I gotta see what this thing is. I, you have been warned. It's not for everybody. Uh, so, <laughs> and Sammy, the answer is if you contemplate whether or not you're a good father or a good husband, you are. Uh, yeah. You know, have you yeah. ever heard that answer before? Yeah. Like if you're I contemplating have. it, that you I have, are. Yeah. I had a friend, I had a friend who told me that, hey, man, if you're thinking that, then you are. You're, you're yep. doing the work. You're making an effort. Yeah. I, I, I can't make a camera work on Zoom, but I can, I'm a pretty good dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the picture you put up, man. All right, last Brad, last question. Bring it home. All right. What is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend to everybody? Ooh, man. That list is long. Um, I can think of a couple off the top of my head, though. Uh, I think uh, I, I'm pretty sure these are bombs. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, um, uh, but I'm pretty sure they were. Um, I've noticed, you know, obviously you guys do a podcast, so, you know, you got to bend the rules a little bit, like you can't stick to it completely, but (laughs) obviously John Carpenter's thing's a big one, even though that technically made its budget back, it was still considered quite a bomb. Uh, that's a big one for uh, probably a lot of us, uh, probably all three of us. Yes. Yes. Um, Ed Wood is a big one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think Ed Wood doesn't get enough credit. Uh, one, one that I think is recent that I've. I would hope that you guys cover at some point because I think this one got completely and unfairly ripped apart. Was uh, John Carter? <laughs> it's on yeah. the list. It's coming up. It's, it's yeah. coming up in a month or so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That movie is a hell of a lot better than people give it credit for. And I uh, agree. Yeah. Yes. And I, I so I watched it. I didn't even want to watch it. I watched it one night by myself. It, it was on or something. I watched it and I was like. Wow, this is, and that's one of the great things about going back and reviewing old films, right? Or going back and looking at films is you realize, you know, hyperbole is all that stuff's the enemy to 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 entertainment such as movies. Sometimes you get perspective and go back and look, and you can see the real talent or lack thereof in a movie. But if I had one that I always recommend to folks, I had to get those out there because I'm a motor mouth. But it's probably <laughs> Joe Dante's Matinee, which I think is like his masterpiece. Oh, with John Goodman. You yeah. know what? And I just showed that one to my kids. I want to say 
it was last summer, kind of yeah. when COVID started. They fell in love with it. Yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful movie, especially if you love movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always kind of use that as an example because, you know, I love movies and, and uh, that's a great one. But I mean, I, that list, I mean, Joe Dante's filmography alone could be all of them because I love Joe Dante. And I mean, The Burbs is one of my favorite movies of all time. So there Absolutely. you go. But yeah, Matinee would be my one. We're adding, we got to add Matinee to the list, man. I'll, I'll add it. Okay, cool. So, just to segue real quick, Troy. I don't know if we've said what we were actually doing on this episode. Oh, no. I got so excited because we had So, John Goodman was also in another movie <laughs> in 2008. And what was that movie, Troy? Um, it is none other than Speed Racer, written and directed by the Wachowskis. And we'll, we'll definitely get into their filmography. But... This was one of the films when we were kind of putting our initial list together of bombs that we want to talk about. It's funny, Sammy. John Carter was on our list originally. Yeah. Because I saw it in the theater. I actually liked it a lot. Um, and Speed Racer was definitely on our list. And I know it's now showing up on a bunch of, I don't know, you know, uh, podcasts, lists, whatever. Everybody kind of talks about this and says, Hey, this thing tanked and it really shouldn't have. And that, you know, there's a whole reevaluation going about it. And I know when we were talking with you about, hey, what episode do we want to put together? This this was your pick, right? You wanted to talk about Speed Racer. Yeah. 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 And, I, I saw I it on there and I was like, you know, we we've been trying to get it on our show forever and we just never have. And I thought it was time to talk about it with somebody because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I and I and what's interesting is the other thing, the other question I kind of had for the three of us is um, this really comes from a Japanese TV show. And it's funny that, you know, all three of us, I think, have a lot of the same film taste. And, you know, we're very explorative. But Japanese cinema and Japanese TV specifically has this very long history with American film. And, you know, each country has been influencing the other at certain time periods. But the question I had for you guys, just in general, was what is your favorite American film based on a Japanese film or TV show? And I know that list is super long, but is there something that comes to mind kind of like, because, you know, Speed Racer obviously is influenced by Japanese material, but are is there another one that just pops into your head? And if um, you were going to recommend somebody and say, hey, check out this American remake or American influence film that's based on a Japanese property. Like what would you go to? And, and Brad, I'm going to start with you. Do you, okay. Do you- yes, I do. I have one. And I'm going to give you the tagline and see if you can guess what it is. Okay. It says, before you die, you see. Is that the ring? The ring. Yes. I, I wanted to do something else. Cause I feel like the ring is like one of the most popular ones, but I love that movie. And I think it's yeah. when it's she really comes good. out of the screen, when she comes out of the screen, and I know it's coming. It still freaks me out to this day. Like I, yeah. I am terrified when she comes out. Um, so I think um, anything, the sequels are god awful. So don't go down that rabbit hole. But I think uh, that original 2002 remake is pretty spot on. So yeah. that's my answer. I agree. I like that uh, remake. It's very good. It it captures the essence of the first one. Yeah, it's Gore, so well. Gore Verbinski. Is that right? Gore Verbinski. Yeah. yeah. Naomi Watts. Oh my gosh! Now, Could, yeah, that couldn't remember it. Alan Fleischer, but I did remember Gore Verbinski. So there, <laughs> there you go. All right, Sammy, what's your pick, man? Uh, well, the, the easy answer for me is uh, it's very GGTMC. The easy answer is is a fistful of dollars because it's a remake of Yojimbo, essentially. Now that's the easy one. 
but I'm going to surprise you. And it's kind of in the same ballpark that Brad's talking about, but I think a movie that got kind of unfairly and, you know, I could be opening myself up to some ridicule here, but I really enjoyed the American remake of The Grudge. With Sarah Michelle Gellar? Yeah. I really enjoyed that. For whatever reason, it creeped me out. And I don't get creeped out very easily, especially with ghost stories. I'm not, uh, if you've ever listened to our show, I'm not a ghost fan. Like, ghosts don't freak me out. They don't. Like I want to see a ghost. Like if somebody, like if somebody, if there's like a strange noise in a dark house, I'm the guy that walks toward it. I'm not the guy <laughs> that walks away because I'm like, cool man. There's got to be ghost. I hope there's ghost. It gives me some kind of, you know. It, it, well, I think Stanley Kubrick said it's the most optimistic view of life. If there's ghost, that means there's an afterlife, right? So I, I'm, I'm that guy. But I think that movie got really. It was a hit. It was a hit. I remember yeah. it being a hit. But a lot of horror fans really didn't like it, and I think it's because it wasn't. It wasn't hardcore enough, or they just, I think uh, Shimitsu, I think that's his name. To, I can't remember his first name. He made the original Grudge films over in Japan, and then he came over here, and I think Sam Raby and Rob Tapert produced that remake, American remake. I still think it's a very solid movie, though. Um, and do, do you think people, I don't know, discredit it because it's part of that PG-13? I mean, Raimi at that point uh-huh. was, was really... Um, I don't know, doing horror for the masses. And I, th- I think that one was PG-13 when it got released, right? It was. It was PG-13. Um, I think that that's part of it. There's there's a certain type of horror fan that wants everything to be a hard R. But I don't think that necessarily means scary. Right. Uh, I think scary is all about atmosphere and what you build. And uh, I think that that version, and, and as well as what Brad says with The Ring, I think both of those films nail atmosphere. And I think that's that's the most important thing in a horror film. You got to make me uneasy just being there. And if you get me there, then already you can just pretty much do anything you want to with me at that point. I, I'm with you. I, I'll I'll go out on a limb here and say that if given the choice between watching the original The Grudge and sort of the American, I I kind of gravitate to the American one. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, it's good. Um, and it's not just because Buffy's in it, but um, <laughs> I, I just I thought it was really well done. Mm-hmm. So. The ring, the ring is also that remake of the ring is also PG thirteen, I believe. Was it? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess it was. That was one of the few horror films. My wife hates four horror films, so I've I've gotten her to watch a few pretty hardcore horror films, but the that the ring she liked, uh, the grudge she did not. The last one, and she has not watched a horror film with me since, was the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The one with the <laughs> oh, the Platinum Dunes one. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the Marcus Nispel, I think, is his name or something yeah, like yeah. that. So that <laughs> that that was pretty hardcore for <laughs> yeah for somebody my wife who hates violence and hates uh you know gore. Uh, that one, yeah, that was Run the same. that was the end of our horror friendship. Me and my wife. <laughs> Man, that meat hook when he just puts uh, a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, that's a and by the way, that's a good remake, regardless of what people say. <laughs> I love the original, but you know, there's nothing wrong with a solid remake. Yeah. Well, mine, I, I, I don't think mine's going to be a surprise, especially if you go back and listen to some episodes. I one of my favorite series, like I will watch it over and over again, is Zatuichi. Now I know everybody gravitates to Lone Wolf and Cub, etc., but Zatuichi is my all-time favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shintaro Katsu, I love him. And one of my favorite films that I, anytime it's on, I will instantly just stop what I'm doing and watching is 1989's Blind Fury with Rudger Hauer, <laughs> directed by Philip Noyce. I know it's yeah. kind of cheesy, 
it, it I mean, Randall Tex Cobb is in it as like a, a big bad. I mean, it, it, it's got some goofy moments to it. I totally understand that. But it's got Rudger Hauer and Sho Kasugi in it. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know, it, it just feels like an 80s ninja film um, through and through based on, you know, a Zatuichi film. I think it was based on the 17th Zatuichi film called Zatuichi Challenge. But I, I, that movie is so much fun to me. It, it's on my personal list of films that when when the time is right, I'm going to, I don't know, Brad, if you've seen it, I want to expose you to it. Yes. Oh, you have yes. seen it? Okay. Yes. But I, I, there's something about that film that is so fun to me. And I, I think it's accessible too. So if anybody um, doesn't want to watch Enter the Ninja or Ninja 3 The Domination or Pray for Death or any of the Shokasugi, <laughs> you, you could throw in Blind Fury. And I, I think it's just Americanized for, for the general audience. Yeah. I agree with you. That's an honorable mention for me. I, I love that film as well. It's so much fun. Well, tonight we're we're doing Speed Racer 2008. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people, I think, are reevaluating this thing, have come back to revisit it. If you do some homework, et cetera, you'll probably find more people talking about this film than you know the people who created it even. But this, I think, is a fun discussion because it gives us a chance to kind of talk about some of the most influential filmmakers um, from the 90s um and into the 2000s but also um i i don't know it, it it gives us a chance to talk about style substance um editing some just really style inter- over substance style over substance even so this when it came out obviously was was a pretty big bomb right brad so yes you you're the numbers guy give us a little bit of background when this thing got released yeah so the budget for this movie is 120 million dollars which clutch your pearls troy that's a lot of money that that's um, a lot of money domestically it brings in $43 million and internationally brings in about 50 for a grand total of $93.9 million total uh, total. Wow. So again, we're, we're just looking at production costs at 120. So you can sometimes multiply that by two. Um, even if you multiply by a half, we're looking at 180. They're writing off about a hundred to $90 million on this movie. Um, huge bomb. It. On Rotten Tomatoes, Troy, 41%, not um, not liked by many people. Um, 217 critics reviewed it. A lot of them say, if you're a 12-year-old boy, you're going to like this movie. If not, <laughs> then you're not. So um, I get that. Yeah. Um, it is released on May 9th of 2008. Let's go to the Wayback Machine to 2008. And I will tell you, one film is well. I will not say that is huge. Is Iron Man is released a month before this movie comes out. So remember that. Okay. Um, you have the boy in the striped pajamas. I, I remember seeing that movie, but it's I been. I think a long time. I've seen it. I don't remember anything about it. Uh, pretty- what happens in Vegas? Oh, remember that's a- Ashton, Ashton Kutcher. Kutcher. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Remember he used to be in movies. Now mm. he's in Super Bowl commercials. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Sex in the City, the movie, the first one. Oh Lord. Wow. Yeah. Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Academy Award. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince, Prince Gaspian. Hmm. Okay, guys, here it is. On May 21st of 2008, all of our childhoods were murdered. Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was released. Um, so, yes. I saw that twice in the theater because 
Cameron loved it. Yeah, I could see that. Loved it. I could see it. Yeah. Now, um, now, granted, he was very young, but yes. he absolutely loved it. To be fair, yeah. Does anyone remember? Oh, I don't have them. Say the high. Oh, the highest grossing films of two thousand eight. Do you it's all remember Iron Man? Right? No, there no. was a bigger superhero film in two thousand and eight. Wow, um, Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Troy. <laughs> okay, number one, The Dark Knight at oh. almost a billion dollars. Ooh. The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull makes $790 million. Wow. Troy, your film, Kung Fu Panda, number three. Jackie Chan. Yep. Uh, four is Hancock. Hancock was huge. Wow. And I never really? I never think of that movie as it made 200 or made $630 million. Get shut the front door. <laughs> no, it did. Are you then, serious? Yes. Rounding out the top five in wow. 2008 was Mamma Mia. Hey. Iron Man Iron Man was eight, by the way. Are you really? Yeah. yeah. That surprised me. 585. Well, I think when Speed Racer came out, that Ashton Kutcher film beat it, right? In so, yes. So, opening the opening weekend. weekend, the highest grossing film on its opening weekend when this came out was Iron Man at $51 million. Um what happens in Vegas opened at twenty million dollars, and this opened at eighteen and a half. Holy cow! The average, just the average for Iron Man, even in its, I guess this was its second or third week or second week, was tw- almost twelve and a half thousand dollars per per screen, so which is pretty good. So anyway, uh, anyway, you slice it, Speed Racer, not a success. Not at all. Not even close. <laughs> but I'm Not still even sniffing sh- being. I'm still shocked about Hancock. That's the one I can't like. My brain. Six hundred and thirty million dollars. Okay. Will uh, Smith, man, remember. Wow. Well, so the people behind the camera. Let's talk about that real quick. Written and directed. Now, at the time, and I'm not going to get into the whole what's happened um, with the creators, etc. But at the time, they were known as the Wachowski brothers. But We'll we'll just refer to them as the Wachowskis, um, you know, for the sake of discussion. Yeah. But they're they wrote and directed this thing. And before we kind of talk about their filmography leading up to this, I mean, what are your guys' initial impressions of them? I mean, they've they've made probably some of the most influential science fiction films. Mm-hmm. But I mean, do you is that a director or writer combo that the minute that, you know, they're attached to something, you're running out and seeing it? So to me, they're still cashing checks from the matrix. The matrix is one of my favorite movies of all time. And because they did the matrix, I will always see what they do. Um, I haven't really liked a whole lot since the matrix. Um, but I always, I always respect them because they seem like they swing for the fences and um, it's always high concept and they're always going for something. Um, they did do bound, which we mentioned uh, last week. So yeah. Um, I do like that movie as well, but the matrix, you kind of get like a free pass from me doing one of the best science, science fiction action films of all time. Um, so yeah. Hmm. What about you, Sammy? Yeah. I mean, uh, I love them. I do. Um, I loved, uh, I loved bound. I thought it was really awesome. Uh, when it came out, I, it, it was profound for me. It was one of those experiences. I kind of talked about it. I really kind of nailed, uh, uh, this this sounds worse than what it is, but I mean, it kind of nailed kind of lesbian lust for it very well, 
and crime and greed. It really nailed that, I think. And plus, it's got a great performance from uh, Joe Pantoliano. Joey uh, Pants, yeah. yeah. Joey Pants, who they they know how to use better than anybody, I think. Yeah. Uh, the Matrix was just I, – I, I don't know how you ever follow The Matrix. Uh, I don't think it's a bona fide masterpiece, but it's a game changer. It's 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 a cultural film that came along, and I think just changed. I think it changed movies. To be honest with absolutely, you, absolutely yes. It it definitely changed the action genre. Yeah, it changed the action genre across the world. I mean, it wasn't just a USA impact. I mean, it was, everybody was impacted by it, and that's one of the things about the Wachowskis I like. They have a lot of respect for world cinema. They they tend to use uh, stars from Asia, which I, I'm sure Troy will talk about more. Um, because uh, he's more versed in it than I am, uh, but um, I mean I'm not a slouch, but I I, I don't know <laughs> I can't name drop as many people as Troy can in that world. But um, they brought those influences in, and I think that that was amazing. I think it opened people's eyes to a lot of things. I think having to make two sequels, which I enjoy the sequels. Uh, obviously, they're not as impactful and as good as the first film. I don't think there's any way it could have been. I do enjoy them though. Speed Racer was the last film I've seen by them and continues to be the last film I've seen by them. I have not watched Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending. I've not watched the TV show. But I will watch, uh, I think Lana is making uh, Matrix, Matrix 4. 4, and I'll probably end up checking that out because I'm curious. But Cloud Atlas never really drew my attention, neither did Jupiter Ascending, and I don't know why. I don't know why after Speed Racer I kind of lost interest in what they were doing. I don't know why. It was really the properties more than anything, but... I really, I mean, they, they were huge. I mean, they 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 came along at the right time, and uh, I thought they were going to be the sibling combo that was just going to keep revolutionizing cinema. So I'm I'm with you. I, and when I sat down to kind of look at the filmography, I was really fascinated by you know they didn't just dabble in film. You mentioned it, Sammy. They did TV. Mm-hmm. They also did uh, video games. Yeah, Enter the Matrix, Matrix Online, Matrix Path and Neo. They were directors and writers. Um, I don't. They didn't write for Matrix Online, but they were writer directors for the 2003 Enter the Matrix and 2005's The Matrix Path of Neo. But they also did comic books. So they did. Lana did collaborations with Clive Barker's um, Hellraiser from '89 to '94. Um, Ecto Kid, The Matrix comics, Doc Frankenstein. So. They've, they've done a bunch of stuff outside of just, you know, things that yeah. showed up on the big screen and small screen. Well, they wrote uh, the Stallone movie, too, the Dick Donner film, Assassins. They wrote that as well. Yeah, 95, they uh, did Assassins. Um, 96, they were director's writer, producer for Bound, mm-hmm. then Matrix. Um, did executive producing for the documentary Matrix Revisited, which was... I don't, I don't know if you guys remember that, um, especially around you know DVD time. Yeah, that DVD. was a big thing. I mean, you they were selling that almost as a full fledged movie, sort of leading up to oh yeah um, everything, and and then Animatrix as well. So the animated um, films that had the short stories, they were they were writers and producers for that. They did the Matrix sequels. They did a lot of writing and producing. So V for Vendetta, mm-hmm. I love V for Vendetta. I thought it was a <clears throat> fantastic adaptation. You know yeah. Warner Brothers used them quite a bit, and so they went uncredited for a rewrite of The Invasion, which I think was the Daniel Craig, Nicole Kidman sort of remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, that's directed by that gentleman that works with them occasionally, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. I, I can't remember the director, but you're, I think you're spot on. I don't know. He's the guy that did Ninja Assassin as well, which I know. Oliver Hirschbeagle. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I don't remember his name, but there was some 
No, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> there were some rumors that uh, they the Wachowskis, yeah, had ghost directed <laughs> uh, Ninja Assassin some, ghost directed V for Vendetta some, and then of course yeah. ghost directed some of the invasion as well or invasion as well. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, there's no doubt Warner Brothers kind of relies on him. Yeah, Ninja Assassin was 2009, which that stars Rain, who's Rain. who's also in Speed Racer. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, Cloud Atlas, and what's funny is I've seen most of this stuff. I don't think I've seen the invasion. Definitely ran out for Ninja Assassin. Um, Sonny Chiba was in that, I think, and that was the draw for that, if I remember correctly. <laughs> nice. Um, skip Cloud Atlas. When I saw the trailer, it just didn't interest me. Jupiter Ascending. Whew, wow. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't know why I watched that one. <laughs> it seems like, you know, I can say as a listener to your all's podcast, I can say that it seems like Jupiter Ascending has been coming up since like episode one. It, it, it has. And I I don't want to have to watch that movie again, but I will for our listeners. But man, dude, we uh, watched Showgirls last week. I know, I, we can I handle know. Jupiter yes. Ascending. Yes, <laughs> so, um, but yeah. And, and the other thing I find fascinating is Warner Brothers relies heavily on him, but if if you're a movie studio and you're looking at the returns that they bring to the table, they don't make a lot of hits. As a matter of fact, Assassins was a bomb. Mm-hmm. $50 million budget, only made 30. Bound was kind of, it just squeaked by. $6 million budget, only made seven. So I think if you end up doing the math, it, it probably didn't you know, really dazzle anybody at the box office. The Matrix movies and V for Vendetta were obviously hits. Um, and what surprised me is the Matrix made 463 million at the box office, but Matrix Reloaded came back with 742 million. I mean, just a huge, you know, box office juggernaut. And then Matrix Revolutions comes in at 427. But the Invasion box office bomb, Speed Racer, we just talked about that one bomb. Cloud Atlas was another big bomb. Cloud Atlas had a 146 million dollar budget, only made 130. Tom freaking Hanks and Halle Berry. I mean, yeah. That's- and Jupiter Ascending had a hundred and seventy-six million dollar budget, and made a hundred and eighty-four. So they're grasping at that matrix straws, man. They're trying to. Studios are are hoping that they pull that out of their hat again. Yeah, that that's yeah. crazy to me that they are still getting that much money from the studio when their track record. I, I think you said it right, Brad. I mean, they're they're kind of living off that matrix paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the other people behind the screen before we kind of talk about who's in, uh, who's in front of the camera, I should say behind the camera. I mean, this was based on speed racer by Tatsuo Yoshida, which uh, you guys have seen the cartoon, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. About you, Sammy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I saw it quite a bit. Oh yeah. Um, I watched one episode. I've never seen it before, but I watched one episode for this week. So I want to talk about that when, here we go. Yeah. It's a little fun. Um, cinematography is from like 1966. I I know, but I, I've got comments. Okay. Okay. So we're, we're going to talk about it. Um, David Tattersall (laughs) did the cinematography, Brad, guess what movie he's done that we've talked about. David Tattersall. Conair. Did you you look that up or did you know that? No, because I remember when we looked when we did. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. You've got that like photographic thing. Yes, he also yeah. did all the. I believe he did all the prequels too. Yeah, Star Wars Episode One, Two, and Three. Now, if you're playing Jackie Chan Bingo, um, he also is the cinematographer for The Foreigner. Mm. So we've got mm. two Jackie Chan movies we talked about: Kung Fu Panda and The Foreigner. This is already uh, one of my favorite episodes. Um, <laughs> 
It's edited by, so Speed Racer is edited by Zach Steinberg and Roger Barton. Now, they worked with the Wachowskis quite a bit on Bound, Matrix Trilogy, films, Speed Racer. They won an Academy Award for Best Editing for The Matrix. And we are going to talk heavily about them because I, I think that's one of the best things about the film, honestly. And I know you're making a face, Brad, so this is going to be a good discussion. Um, but let's talk about the people in front of the camera. So Emil Hirsch as speed racer himself, your guys thoughts on this guy. I mean, leading up to speed racer, he did the air. I breathe in 2007 into the wild in 2007. Did this film? I love into the wild. I will go ahead and say, I love into the wild. Yeah. And he followed it up with milk in 2009 and, and Emil's had a pretty, pretty long list of, um, really good films that he's been in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. He's very good. I, I like Emil Hirsch. Um, I've, I've continued to watch his films. He doesn't do big Hollywood films much anymore. It seems like he was in once upon time in Hollywood. Oh yeah. I guess he was. Yep. Yeah. He's, but, Jay. he's one that? of those guys when he pops up, you, you instantly recognize him, but he, he, he's obviously picking like characters that are so diverse in his filmography. He's never, he's never like picking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's got a really nice look, and and I think he he carries himself quite well. Like he, I don't I don't know what it is about him. I I, I really this is going to sound weird to say, but I really like. I think he does a lot with his eyes. Like he does a whole lot with his eyes, and I think he's he's continued to do that. But I I I watch every film he's done. He does a David there's a David Gordon Green film he did called Prince Avalanche. It's really good. That oh, I like. that that's on my I. I I think I bought that because I, I saw the trailer and I'm like, oh, I got to own it. So let, let, let me, yeah, let me let me get this out of the way. Now I got to say this about this show. One of the, so I just want to make sure you guys know this because I'll break in and say this every now and then. Being a listener to your show, I share the disease that both of you have and that I have to own <laughs> almost everything. Okay, so one of the reasons why I love listening to y'all show is because I feel like. I know somebody else who has my problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a curse. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm the same I'm kind of person. Over it. <laughs> yeah. I'm I, I she's gonna kill me one day. So <laughs> well, my wife is gonna kill me one day. She is. She's like, what is this charge? Who's who's this guy? And I was like, oh, the, the Troy, a friend of mine, said something about a HK Forever website. It's nothing. It's nothing. No big deal. Paypaling <laughs> <laughs> random people, hoping that you get something in the mail. Yeah. yeah. But yep. I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a disease I have, uh, and and it's one that I thoroughly enjoy, and uh, I love to own things. So I am also the kind of person who will see a trailer and be like, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna buy that. I'm just gonna go ahead and buy that. <laughs> I do it all the time. Because you do it, that exercise in your head, like, well, if I rent it twice, like if I like it and I have to watch it twice, then I might as well just buy it and have it. So yeah. that's, yep, yep. Yeah, there's been I, I, DVDs that we have reviewed on the show that I bought before the podcast existed <laughs> that I have done on the, our show just because I bought the DVD and it's on a two-watch pile that I'd hate to see anybody else's, but I know mine, I might get divorced over the two-watch pile. <laughs> oh yeah, mine's out. So here's my justification. And since we're since we've derailed and we're talking about this, I find I've I've got an 18 year old daughter now, 15 year old son. Yeah, and I love the fact you're going to bequeath it to them. Is that what you're going to say? Well, kind of. So I I find it's getting harder and harder to find certain films. Yes, because you've got these limited run pressings, and as soon as they're gone, then you know somebody buys like 20 of them, sells them for like 200 dollars on eBay, crap yep. like that. Yeah. Streaming services, you know, everything rights change from this company to that company. It goes in the vault, all this other stuff. And I know this sounds so silly, but 
I I grew up with my father taking me to all these different films, and and that's what I've always loved is he he just he took me to everything. Yeah, I was just exposed to all of it, and I feel like having this collection, <laughs> my kids, I'm I'm always begging them, hey, sit down and watch this film with me. And it's it's funny that Cameron will will start gravitating to a certain director um, or genre, and then he's super interested in it, and so will my daughter. But I'm hoping at some point that they can kind of take that same journey, and I'm kind of like providing it for him. So I know that's kind of cheesy. No, no, no. That that's kind of the why I do it too is not just to own it and kind of put it on a shelf and go, oh look what I watched. Yeah. But it's more that I want to give it to the kids and go. Hey, if you really like that film, you need to watch these like five others because there's such a big influence to it. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I agree completely. I I, I like watching my kids look through mine. Like well, they don't they don't get to watch everything. My wife doesn't want them <laughs> watching everything, but they watch quite a bit, and uh, they just thumb through mine like crazy, and uh, they ask questions, and it gives me a reason to talk about it, right? And if I'm gone or when I'm gone, or maybe if they just want to take those with them, they can have them. Yeah, absolutely. As, and, but as and, long as I'm around, they can't have them, Troy. <laughs> that's fine. But yeah. I, I love the fact that I I hear like my son or daughter, they'll be talking to somebody and they'll they'll talk about, oh, did you did you see this movie and it starred this guy? And yeah. and then my daughter will be like, Oh, that's that's like that Sam Hung film, and everybody just looks at her with this blank stare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I love the fact that they can yeah. point out, you know, Donnie and Sam Hung, <laughs> Moon Lee. And I I Man, I'm proudest dad ever. Yeah, so I have a moment like that too. One of my favorite things is my son has his friends over, and I sometimes have to podcast in another room where I podcast with a really deep, quiet voice. And uh, <laughs> that he'll, he'll, I'll hear him come upstairs, and he'll be like, "Oh, just let me go ask my dad. He's seen everything." That's what he, that's what I hear him uh, say. Love it. <laughs> Which is, of, of course, unfortunately, is almost true. <laughs> I believe it. If yeah. I learned 26,000 films, <laughs> which I got to give you a little grief, a thousand movies and you've covered like two Jackie Chan movies. What, yeah. what the shit, man? Yeah, I know. I know you've, you've for, for over the years, you've given for those who don't know over the years, Troy's given me grief and will and both myself grief over not doing enough Jackie Chan films. I think we've done police story and heart, heart of, of the dragon. dragon. You've done two. There's not another one in there. Are you sure there's not another one in there? Did you guys do? Battle Creek Brawl? No, we didn't do that. We didn't do those. No, you didn't do I just around re- the world in eighty days or no, 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 none of that stuff. Sorry, Troy. No, don't we, start with me, Brad. <laughs> there'll, there'll be there'll be more to come. There'll be more to come in that realm. But we haven't done in in fairness. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that we just haven't done, like uh, Donnie Yen stuff. We've done a few. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not Jackie Chan, so I don't care. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I'm just trying to play my Yen card. Okay, well, I like you've seen Flashpoint now, so I'm proud of you. Yeah, that's right. So, so Brad knows for preparation for the show, I didn't want to get called out for not seeing Flashpoint. I watched Flashpoint last night because I went back and then I didn't get to watch Paradox because that's another one I keep hearing mentioned on the show. I will watch that. And now I've been told about this Korean film. Troy's just, he's just throwing them on me. So I am very guilty of not watching modern Asian films unless they're horror related, to, it seems, or made by directors I like. So I, 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 Love listening to Troy talk about him. It makes me oh, it makes me happy. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> now, sorry, I derailed the podcast. No, right. God, back to Speed Racer. Christina Ricci is Trixie. Um, she has she's had some great roles. What what I find interesting is you got Emil Hirsch, Christina Ricci, Susan Sarandon, John Goodman. I was looking at the stuff that was leading up to Speed Racer, and Susan Sarandon was a workaholic. She's always been a workaholic. John Goodman. I mean, he was doing Death Sentence, Evan Almighty, the B movie. 
um, right before Speed Racer. Christina Ricci did Black Snake Moan in 2006. Oh, yeah. Which wow. is an interesting film. Say the least. Yeah, but it I find it fascinating that at the time for 2008, the people that they're putting within this film, I mean, none of them are major players. I mean, is, is that a fair assessment? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all all well known, yeah, and they've had their heyday, yeah. But for 2008, there, I, I, would you consider any any of them like A-listers? No. And do you want to get into it? I mean, none of them are Johnny Depp type people. Oh, we'll we'll get there for the development portion, yeah, yeah. But but to round it out, we got Kiki Gurry as Sparky, Matthew Fox as Racer X, which I kept thinking I I know I've seen that guy, and then it hit me, (laughs) Bone Tomahawk, yeah. Um, Polly Lit as Spurtle Racer, Willie as Chim Chim, <laughs> Rain, um, which we talked about. He's he's from Ninja Assassin, and I, I guess the villain Roger Allen, which people would know him from V for Vendetta, plays Royalton. Yeah. Now you hit on it a little bit. So before we kind of talk about our what we think about the movie, this thing is an interesting development, I, I guess, at Warner Brothers because. It, it started back in September 1992. Warner Brothers held the option to create a live action film based on the 60s Japanese anime. And Welcome Joel, back to the show, Joel Silver. Yeah, Joel Silver is producing. And a couple of years later, so about June 1995, Johnny Depp was cast into the lead role with Julian Temple directing. So this thing goes back all the way to 95 when they start you know, getting things together. Now there's a big falling out. Director leaves. Johnny Depp doesn't have a director. He walks off. Then the studio, I, I thought this was interesting. The studio considered director Gus Van Sant as a replacement for Temple. And in 1997, they briefly hired Alfonso Cuaron as a director as well. So they've got some interesting choices that they're looking at. And it, they bring a bunch of different screenwriters into. Check out our episode on Children of Men. First episode, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. And J.J. Abrams even contributed a draft to the film, um, which obviously he's well known now. In September 2000, Warner Brothers hired video director Hype Williams. I want uh, Hype Williams, such a cool name. Troy is not. So, <laughs> yes. Um, and in October 2001, the studio hired screenwriters. Spoiler Christian. alert, his real name is not Hype Troy, by the way. <laughs> no, his real name's Hype. The internet said it was. <laughs> So, okay. Uh, I'm trying to get to they spent like 1.2 million dollars for a screenplay they never used back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Just and take then, take 1.2 million dollars and just burn it. Just burn, just burn it. it. They did. And in 2004 Vince Vaughn even comes on board to try and revive it and he was going to to have a role but also be executive producer. And finally Warner Brothers says, "Okay, enough of the shenanigans. The Wachowskis come in in October 2006." And, you know, Joel Silver says, great. I've worked with them before. And, and they bring to us Speed Racer. I mean, is this to me is such a crazy, I don't know, from 92 to 2008. Could you imagine an Alfonso Cuaron or even a Gus Van Sant Speed Racer? Different movie. Yeah. Different movie. I can slightly imagine a Cuaron one. I can, in, in my dark, twisted mind, I can certainly imagine a Van Sant one that I would quite... In- <laughs> I would be the one that would go see that movie. 
<laughs> I, I kind of want to see these as well, as a matter of fact. I, I would like them, I mean. They would just be driving in circles. <laughs> really sad. I, I can't see Johnny Depp in Speed Racer, but maybe. I mean, this was back in the day, though. This was mm, pre. Really? Yeah, but any any part yeah. of Johnny Depp's career, could you see him as Speed Racer? Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, maybe, I, maybe maybe the early early days. It's hard. To, it. It's just hard to like. I don't know. It's hard to imagine Depp doing anything now. But I, I could maybe see it. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say yes, Troy. You can. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, it, let's get into this. I'm I'm really curious about your guys' thoughts on the film. I mean, we talked about you know the deep dive, how it got made, what went on, but now we're talking about the film itself. And and Sammy, I want to talk talk with you so before we get into the details i what's your just initial reaction to this movie because it's one you you picked so obviously i think you got a little love for it but when when you're talking about how you feel about what the wachowski's kind of brought to the screen i mean where do you stand with this thing well it it was interesting to revisit it i have been uh championing this movie for quite some time actually i think will and i both have it came out the same year we started podcasting um, so there's that as well. Um, and I remember wondering why everybody was so turned off, but I'm still having a hard time in some ways trying to figure out what people don't like about speed racer. But what's interesting is most of the people I talk to, uh, tend to tell me that they like it. And I, I'm just kind of amazed by that because I remember everybody not liking it at the time. I don't know what happened or what they, you know, maybe it's just one of those things where time had to go by or whatever. But I think the thing that always strikes me about speed racer, first of all, it's, it's, it's completely one of the most colorful movies you'll ever see. Um, it, I mean, it uses so much color. It almost makes you sick to your stomach. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you had an aversion to, um, color, this would not be a movie for you. Uh, cause wow. I mean, they just saturate this thing. Oh yeah, the, the filmmaking is what I like about this movie. The genre bending, the editing, which is absolutely insane. Uh, you go back and watch this thing, and there are moments when I swear there's 70 cuts in less than 70 seconds. I don't know what is going on, but I love every second of it. I mean, it is frenetic, highly energized, over-stylized, and it exists in a world that they create one of the things I love about movies is, is you can disconnect from everything. You can disconnect from the real world yeah, and connect to some other world. And a really good filmmaker can take you there and, uh, you just get lost in it. Watching this again, this past weekend, I got lost in it all over again. Like this world where I know none of the car physics makes sense. I know a lot of it doesn't make sense. Um, but, the Wachowskis do a very good job of staying within the realm of the story they're trying to tell and the mood they're trying to set. And I just think it's, I think it's one of the most uh, bravura, bravura, bravura. Yeah. One of those (laughs) words. It's an amazing piece of filmmaking is what it is. And I still think it, I still think it holds up. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I couldn't tell you why it didn't hit the first time around. Um, did, did you see it in the theaters or did you catch did. it on I, home media? I did. I saw it in the theaters. I watched it on okay. Blu-ray. I bought the Blu-ray. And then I opened the Blu-ray for the show. 
That's <laughs> <laughs> just like me. That's not the first time that's happened. Yeah, no. won't be the last time either. Um, so it's I don't know. I'm 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 eagerly anticipating a 4K, but the at the same time, I I, I mean the film just it really works. It's a very simple story of an underdog and you know kind of overcoming odds and finding yourself. And if you look at the Wachowski's filmography, a lot of their films are about transformation and finding yourself and things like that. And I don't think that's happens. I think that happens for a reason. Obviously we know that they themselves have transformed. Uh, and I think they were working through that with their films and they, unlike anybody else I can think of, they got to do it on a grand scale. <laughs> I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. You guys were talking about this in the beginning of all this conversation, I know they are the Joel Silver and Warner Brothers have always been banking on them having another Matrix like hit, something they could milk for four or five billion dollars, you know? Right. But that stuff like the Matrix comes along once in a generation. It's not a, I mean, it's a, you know, they're trying, they've tried to recapture, in my opinion, they've tried to recapture A New Hope ever since A New Hope came out. Uh, I know that might be blasphemy. Some people love Empire Strikes Back more. I get it. But, for me, that one still has more impact, and they've been trying to recapture it ever since. I, th- I think any film studio would want to recapture these things and bring them back. And I, I, I just, I'm kind of just dumbfounded by the fact that some just completely were not interested in it. And then when Brad was reading off those other films that were big hits, some of those films I saw, I saw Kung Fu Pan in the theater. I'm pretty sure I saw Mamma Mia in the theater because my wife loves the Mamma Mia stage show, and. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, I like Mamma Mia, the film as well. <laughs> uh, I, I saw all those films, and, but I went and saw Speed Racer by myself because nobody would go see that with me. So, right. Play my little cool. violin music now. Well, what about you, Brad? What, what's your initial reaction? Because, again, this is... this is uh, Yeah, so your, this is technically my pick, right? Yeah, it, technically it is, yeah. And I have a fondness for the cartoon, and I remember seeing this movie, you know, back when you could get DVDs through the mail, through Netflix... Uh-huh. And um, is that is that how you saw it the first time? So you yeah. didn't see it in the theater? Yeah, and no, I did not see it in the theater. Okay. Um, I was probably too pretentious and seeing Slumdog Millionaire a few times. Um, that but sounds anyway. like you. Yeah, I know. Um, this time <laughs> when I watched it, I was taken aback by how bored I was with the movie. And I know Sammy's talking about how great this movie was. And I hate <laughs> the exact opposite. Okay. Like, man, okay. I was completely bored. And then you once know, again, it sounds like you, Brad. Yeah. So, and I know Sammy said like the story is pretty easy to, to comprehend, but maybe I'm just dumb, but there's a lot of corporate like corruption uh-huh. and stock manipulation stuff that I felt like in a speed racer movie might be a little much. Um, and I'll get into maybe my theories on that later. I, I just really had a hard time with this. Um, making it through the racing I thought was going to be the best part, but it's so kinetic. Um, it reminds me of like the beginning of quantum of solace where it's just like cut, cut, cut. And I never understand what's going on. Um, I mean, the movie is called speed racer. Like I want to see racing. I want to see how it's going in it. This is like all, drifting through turns and doing these like crazy spins and jumps. But I I was never like, there was never any tension that like something was going to happen to speed or, I mean, they they make a big deal about racer 
X or Rex uh, dying in the, yeah, yeah, dying in the film. But like literally the body count in this movie is like a hundred racers die in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like there's explosions everywhere and they just move on. But yeah. when Rex dies, it's like this huge moment, but literally the body count in this movie is crazy. But yeah. you know, I, I just, it's weird. Cause like I'm being pulled in two different directions where I, I grew up really liking the cartoon mm. and when I initially saw this movie, I thought I liked it. And then coming back to it as a old crotchety old man, apparently I'm like, wait, no, this is, this is not that great. I don't enjoy seeing this and I can't follow the action. Like I, I want to, it's, it's like Christopher Nolan trying to direct action or something like that. So I don't know, man, <laughs> it wasn't for me. I, so I watched, I've watched this, I don't know how many times. It's one of those that Cameron grew up on. I'm like you, Brad. I didn't see it in the theater. I caught it on media. And Cameron loved it. So I, I can't even tell you how many times I watched this with him as he's growing up. Because it was, it was just one of the films he constantly wanted to watch. And I've always thought that it was super heavily influenced by Zack Snyder's 300 from a few years before. Yeah. Just that comic book style and feel especially when you get to some of the action scenes. And I feel like there's one particular scene that feels like it comes out of 300 with the red background and some action kind of happening mm-hmm. on front. However, watching it this time, the movie that it reminded me of was more of um, Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy from 1990, yes. especially in terms of the tone and color schemes. Yeah. And and I feel like Speed Racer is sort of the love child of 300 and Dick Tracy. Like if yeah, you throw in a little Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Yeah. A li- little bit of that. And I, again, I, I totally understand why some people would not like Scott Pilgrim for some of those same things and why people would not like, you know, Speed Racer. But the other thing that just, I don't know, popped out in my head was, I'm watching it and there is a sequence and it's towards the end where the car is sort of spinning on the track and you see this blend of colors. And for whatever reason, there were a couple of scenes and in my head, I'm like, wow, this is kind of like a Picasso painting. Mm. And I'm, I'm listening to, you know, just, I don't know, some audio things, trying to put some stuff together for the show. And I hear one of the Wachowskis talking about, hey, when they were putting this film together, they were influenced or trying to do color schemes that were very much like cubism. And that's when it hit me that this film just really is virtual cubism at its core in terms of, I don't know, its style and presentation. Yeah. And it and it's one of the few films that... For dumb listeners that might not know, what is cubism? <laughs> if you've seen Pablo Picasso, I mean, cubism, cubism is like um, a painting that is supposed to not... It, it's very unrealistic. It's not, so that's where you get a face. And usually when you see one side of the face, you see one eye. Well, you're going to see one side of the face and you see the two eyeballs. Okay. So it's supposed to be very expressionist. The dumb listeners appreciate that. Okay. Well, and the the best way, you know, I can explain cubism is it's a very unnaturalistic representation of nature. Yeah. So it's very expressive um, and tons of colors. And that's why I feel like Speed Racer, it's it's virtual cubism on the screen. It's moving cubism. And it, it reminds me of a painting more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that visual style transcends the realism, just like those type of paintings. Um, but here's the catch. It's the editing. 
and and here's where I find it very fascinating where the images and everything that I think you said, Sammy, they're building a world. It's very unrealistic. And I totally get it, Brad. The car foo that goes on, it's it's very kinetic and it can be confusing. Yeah. But while the visual representation is so unrealistic, and I think it it does kind of remind me of a Pablo Picasso painting, the experience and the editing of it. In my head, it becomes very realistic in trying to replicate the experience, the thoughts, emotions, and action of racing. Because if if you're going fast in a car and you're thinking about your memories and you're thinking about why you're racing, and you're thinking about all these things that are passing by you, I think the editing is actually very realistic of what's going on from a racer experience, but the imagery is so unnaturalistic and so unrealistic. So I think that's a super interesting blend of the entire film. And if anybody is looking for a traditional movie going experience, this is not it. And I 100% can totally understand as many times as I've seen this thing. I I totally understand why it bombed. Like this thing was never, ever going to make that budget back. Although you needed that budget to make this kind of film. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those moments where art and commerce do not meet. (laughs) Uh, it's definitely one of those moments. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I did not know that about cubism. So I have been fascinated with cubism my entire life, uh, probably because I'm a terrible artist, and that's probably as good as I can get. Uh, <laughs> well, but I, but that, it's funny at least you say it's not that. Pollock. I mean, at least you can do something. Well, yeah, but, no, I mean, that, that, that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, so artists who have always spoken to me are augmented reality types. Yeah. So for comic book people, and you guys, I know I read some comics, but you'll hear me talk about this on our show some, Sam Keith and uh, Tom Mandrake, and, and artists who, uh, Stephen Bissett, uh, Bernie Wrightson, for, for lack of a better name, guys who take what we know as human anatomy and kind of exaggerate it are interesting to me. Yeah. And filmmakers the same way. Uh, I would argue that, did, did the Matrix come out before 300 or was it the other way around? No, the Matrix was 99. Oh. Yeah, 300 was seven years after. Yeah. Was it really? Wow. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, 300 was 2006 and then Speed Racer was 2008. Wow. Yeah. I would argue that uh, Zack Snyder steals more from the Wachowskis than the other way around, but they, they, it, there's certainly moments in this that felt like 300. Uh, which I didn't even kind of think about until you said it. But the cubism thing, go back to that. I'm sorry. The the truth is I've always kind of been fascinated by that art form because it's both grotesque and kind of beautiful at the same time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and this movie, it kind of hammers you over the head with imagery. And I think one of the other things we should probably talk about is the fact that the Wachowskis are big video game people too. They're big video game players. Yes. And this movie feels like like a Jeff, you guys have you ever played the game uh, Wipeout, the the PlayStation game? Oh, absolutely, yes. yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It feels like that game like come to life. Now, I don't like the Wipeout games that much. Uh, they're a little too unrealistic for me. But there's some aspect of that that I get from this film that that I really enjoy. Plus the gadgets and all that kind of stuff. I, I want to go back to something Brad said. You know, they talked about the brother dying. I would argue actually nobody ever dies in this movie. Uh, it, it, it looks like they die, but I don't know if anybody ever actually dies because they never really, they talk about death and, you know, 
I guess this, I, you guys kind of do spoilers, right? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, well, no, 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 yeah, uh, we, we talk, yeah. There's a but, there's a pivotal yeah. scene involving death, but even then, there's no death. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yes, you're correct. That so, is correct. But so I, I kind of wonder if the whole point of the thing is that they're, you know, all this destruction and mayhem. There's some part of me that wonders if if they didn't just create this universe to get away from the massive amount of death <laughs> that was in the Matrix films. Uh, you know, and kind of get through all that or process that or something. You know, I, I just I wonder that sometimes. But well, th- that's a good point. I think I think it's a kids' film. I mean, it, through and through, they went after yeah. a kid audience. Well, yeah, they were trying to to move away from R-rated films. Yeah. Yes, it's like a Looney Tunes type of violence, right? It's it's yeah, it's hardcore. Which is so. weird because I like all that stuff. I like Looney Tunes, Animaniacs, stuff that's really weird and out there. But this just did not hit with me at all and i i, I feel weird saying that because i feel like it, it's doing everything that i like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's got this cool style but um i don't know maybe just it doesn't hold up to me as much yeah. as i thought it would yeah well i, I want to talk about the first 30 minutes because i find it really interesting like most of the time i think i got you peg brad and <laughs> when you said something it just struck me as odd where you said that there really wasn't anything on the line and there, there really was, you know, Rex Racer um, dying and, and all of that just didn't have any weight. I 100% disagree with that <laughs> because of the first 30 minutes. I, if you want to ask me, like, what my favorite part of this film is, there's two sequences. The first one happens kind of in the beginning, and it's that very first race. And this is where I think you're either going to love the film or you're going to hate it you get this amazing combination of a flashback sequence that is telling the story of speed racer up to the point of that race. And you get the family drama, you get the death and he is racing his brother's ghost. And that thematically is throughout the entire film and it's established in, in really that first maybe 15, 20 minutes. And I can't think of a better intro to characters and a backstory that is being just it, it feels effortlessly um, merged within the action on the screen. It, it just it looks great. You're getting everything that's at stake within the first 15 or 20 minutes. The emotional content of the characters, plus just just amazing looking film, and it moves so well. And I just love that metaphor of him chasing his brother's ghost because he's doing that through the entire film, and the camera never stops moving. I don't know. It, to me, it feels like your eyeballs took one of those pixie sticks, you know, the the candy, and made a line of it and sniffed it like cocaine, and that's what your eyeballs feel like. I mean, they're they're just they're at an eleven in terms of the visual style. And the other thing I like about it is speed. He doesn't really talk for like the first twenty minutes. I mean, if you think about it, everybody around him, he's the center of attention, and everybody around him is doing the talking, but he really doesn't say anything, and. Again, I think that's a bold narrative choice. And the editing, my God, I totally understand why these guys got an Academy Award for The Matrix. I think this is just, it's so complex in what they do in that they don't just try and create sort of comic book panels because you've seen that with like Ang Lee and the Hulk and et cetera. But you get this editing that, it, again, is just, I think you said it, Sammy, it feels like 70 cuts, but it doesn't feel tiring it feels like it's all there and it's moving that first 20 or 30 minutes and you get so much established within this race and the excitement doesn't come 
from the visuals, the excitement comes from the the character's dramatic arc that's just established in that first 10 minutes. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think that first 30 minutes is very important for the rest of the film. And I think it's a, for me personally, it's a masterclass in setting up a story. Oh, I will, absolutely. I will agree it takes too long to get to a payoff. Like, I, so I'm totally on board with Brad and the whole stock thing and the corporate bad guy thing. I mean, I think that goes one step too far. I don't think any audience member really cares that much about stock prices and things like that. I understand the corporate. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you just need kind of a big aerial picture of that, like a big, you know, overhead view, like a drone view of that. Yeah. Royalton should not be a main character in this movie. No, I, I do enjoy the way that actor delivers dialogue. I mean, talking about delivering dialogue with relish. I mean, he is oh, having yeah. the time of his life delivering dialogue. And I, I enjoyed that. Like, it, he's really just chomping into it, and he's eating up every scene he's in. I'm sorry, I can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head, but I don't have anything pulled up. It's the V for Vendetta guy. It's yeah, Roger Allen. <laughs> the V for Vendetta guy, <laughs> which he's great in that, too. Yeah. But he he's delivering, at one point, he's delivering all this stuff to speed, and they could have, like, avoided, like, all of that showing the Royalton stuff. Like, it's really cool effects-wise. you got people on these kind of makeshift segues. The riding around on this golf cart thing. It's all kind of cool looking and stuff, but you could have almost done all of that in his monologue. It could have just shown you all of that just in his eyes and then that in that monologue he speaks. All the greed. Yeah, and then we just saved the movie $20 million. Yeah, $20 million in probably 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, so if you do that, and, and I have that question, like, is the film too long? I Honestly, Absolutely. I don't Yes. You, you think so? so? I, yes. I don't know. I, this I'll is say a twenty-two minute show. They did no reason why this is a hundred and what one hundred and thirty-five minutes. There's no reason why it's that long. Well, but you like the the thing you just described, Sammy. I I kind of enjoyed that. If you're talking about world building, like one of my favorite things about films is just being transported into something that you haven't seen before, right? Mm-hmm. So if you buy into the world building that's going on. And, and again, the whole corporate thing, it reminds me of that whole episode one, George Lucas, oh, we're getting the Senate and trade commissions, <laughs> yeah. all that other stuff. Kids trade aren't embargoes, interested. Yay. Yeah. And I totally understand that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I still enjoy the world that they were showing and then that they're building up. And again, I, I think it's interesting because that's part of that sequence where speed isn't really talking at all. You have everybody else doing the talking for him or talking at him or them describing, you know, his what's going on with him. And really Emil Hirsch doesn't start to get, I don't know if you want to call it screen screen time or dialogue time until that sequence is over and he mm-hmm. starts to process all that. Yeah. But I, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Does it go on a little too long? Yeah, you could probably trim it out, but I don't know. I I, I still enjoyed yeah. watching well, I think them it, build that environment out. Yeah, I think it kind of comes back to what you said, though, a little bit, too. I mean, this is a movie, in a lot of ways, it, it is a kid's movie. And I just think, like, the, it's very similar to the George Lucas thing. I remember going and see Phantom Menace. I was so pumped, man. Me and my buddy, we, we went. We all were. Yeah. We all were. And uh, don't get me wrong. I think it has its merits. I don't think it's a complete travesty. But we... <laughs> We go, and in the first 20 minutes, I'm like, what the hell is going on? What what are we talking about? I came here to see a sword and sandal movie set in outer space. You know, I didn't come here to see, a, you know, government turmoil, tariffs, and all these other things. Uh, you know, and, and so 
there's a moment here where so I, I try to get my son to watch this with me. My son's not much of a movie watcher. My daughter's the movie watcher. So he was not really interested. Although he does seem to be, Troy, this is another little derailed moment, but he, I did show him uh, Donnie Yen uh, kicking some guy's head in Flashpoint the other night. Oh. And he, he yeah, seemed to be. He's, he's hooked now, isn't he? <laughs> well, he does. He he did ask me why do I like kung fu movies, and I looked at him and said, "Why not?" <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> Perfect why, answer. Yeah. Uh, Good job, Dad. Yeah, uh, but uh, I said you will too one day. You just don't know it yet. That's what I told him. That's right. It's in his <laughs> but, genes. I tried to get him to watch Speed Racer with me. Well, and he was interested in it for a while, but then it started to get into that kind of corporate side of it, and he got his phone out. <laughs> <laughs> the the dreaded sign that you don't want to see from yep. a preteen in a movie, you know, is, you know, I ask him all the time, like, okay, we're gonna watch a movie, so I'm gonna ask you to turn it off. You can, <laughs> you can, you can, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not hardcore about texting uh, yeah. in, in in my own personal little theater or nothing like that, but I will ask the family not to get the phones out because it is a distraction to me. Uh, he got his phone out, so I knew immediately right then and there I lost him, and in in some ways I it, it lost me. I just I. I understand why it's there. I just think it gives a whole lot of exposition to something that really is just more of an emotional journey that I don't think you really need. I think all you really needed was that monologue. I, I don't. So let me ask you guys this. And I, I kind of agree with you. Like yeah. I enjoy the world building, but that scene, I don't, how do I say this? I don't, I don't know, put a slight against the film for the fact that it's building the world up. It's where the Achilles heel, in my opinion, starts to show and that there's really no good performances in this film. Like the only one that I remember walking away is Susan Sarandon. I think she's fantastic. She gives this, I don't know, speech or monologue to Speed um, when they're talking to the bedroom and, and yeah. he's kind of going through this self-doubt. And mm -hmm. she, everything that she gives in terms of her monologues is just so darn good. But – and. 100%, I think Susan Strandon's the best thing in terms of her performance about the film. Hmm. Emil Hirsch, he's meh. I mean, he he doesn't really do it for me. Neither does Christina Ricci as Trixie. No, and no. and in fact, their chemistry between the two of them. Oh, it, you mean the lack thereof? There is like no the negative chemistry, energy. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I never and, really John, I never really felt it not between yeah. them two. I like, I like both of those actors, but they just... Not together, yeah, not together. Yeah. Yeah. And John Goodman is fun, but he's he's doing Dan Connor with a mustache and, and maybe some awesome wrestling moves, but that's it. Yeah. And Mario just clothes. Talked, yeah. Yeah. And you talked about <laughs> Roger Allen. I mean, he's he's chewing through the scenes and he's at eleven and, and he's obviously having fun. Yeah. He's in a different movie though. <laughs> he he totally is in a different movie. I, I was excited, you know, Shaft shows up, Richard Roundtree. Yeah. And he's pretty good. I was, I, I was like, hey, Cameron, that's Shaft. He's like, oh, yeah. So, But he doesn't do anything Shaft life, so there's really nothing they to could talk totally, about. That totally does not need to be in this movie. I, I know. It's yeah. just a cameo. Um, uh, by the way, I'm still messing with the camera, so I hope I don't throw you all off. I'm going to try something. <laughs> Keep talking. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. But here, here's the thing from a performance standpoint. like I, That section, I love the world building, but that section, the problem I have with it is it. I just start to realize that I don't – um, think there's just great performances in the film. But yeah, that's, I mean, I, I don't, like I said, I, I agree with you guys that maybe that scene doesn't necessarily work or that sequence. But for me, it doesn't work because it highlights, again, there's just not great performances in the film, except, uh, I, okay, I'm going to put it out right now. 
Spriddle and Chim Spritel are the best things about this, in my opinion. <laughs> well, so so I wanted to go back and talk about that. You said some of the acting, you know, isn't that great, but Chim Chim is the best actor in the movie. <laughs> Him and Spritel, I will I will say this: those two are the highlights for me. Yeah. You're token like comic relief characters, by the way. Yeah, but Just, they're so yeah. good. Yeah, yes, yeah. I think I think yes. I would agree that they are the best part of the movie. It they almost steal every scene there. I mean, exactly. Yes, dude. So, they're, they're, my favorite part of the film. Well, okay, I got a couple of favorite parts. I keep saying my favorite part. I really do like this film, but I love that nothing brings tears to my eyes and laughter when they are sitting there in their PJs and he's wearing uh, PJs with a monkey print and the monkey is wearing PJs with the boy print. I love that. Perfect. Yes, Just I agree. Absolutely cracks me up. Yeah, so the first time I saw it, I didn't like uh, Spritel and uh, Chim Chim that much. I mean, I knew about them. I knew what they were. Um, but this time around... The third time around, I guess I've seen this, maybe. Yeah, maybe the third time. I don't know. <laughs> maybe the second time. But <laughs> this time around, I really appreciate them. My favorite scene with them is actually the scene where they overindulge on the junk food. Oh, that, yeah, I had that one down. <laughs> the two are jacked up on candy and they yeah. go for like a joyride. Yeah, that's that's great. <laughs> that's a great moment. Uh, that could have been all. I could have seen a Royalton and I would have been happy. But they are really good in the movie. The first time I saw them, they kind of got on my nerves. But uh, they are good. And, of course, this gets into my conversation i've had on our show before and i hate to keep referring to my podcast so please no, forgive me. Why we, I, your yeah. show's amazing please forgive me for that but Look. one of the things that's kind of historically gone down on our show is a story i once told about shaking hands with a chimpanzee and <laughs> Ooh. so <laughs> so I, I met a chimpanzee did you get a chim chim cookie <laughs> <laughs> so the the story i've always told is it was freakishly strong this animal and it scared me to death. I, I was, I can't remember how old I was, but it was such a scary experience. You have these, you know, you see this kind of anthropomorphic creature in front of you, this animal that you see in movies is happy go lucky. And then when the guy that's there with the chimpanzee tells you, be careful, he can rip your arm off like it's nobody's business. And then you shake its hand and you feel like your hand's being crushed and he's just barely touching you. Yeah. I have that moment. I'm watching this. I'm thinking, what happens if that chimp loses it, man? If that chimp loses it, everybody on that set is dead. Everybody's well, he does, dead. He, he does lose it at one part when you know they have a little action sequence and he gets in the action with the wrench. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's there's there's always that there, but yeah, I, I thought the the chimp was really good. I mean, it's a it's one of the better animal performances you'll ever have see in a movie. Well, it is it is it he works so well with that kid. And I I love the other sequence when they're sitting there trying to watch television and not watch the race, so they switch it over to that other show. Uh-huh. And pops comes through and he and he's like, "What what are you watching a German TV show for? It, it's in German." <laughs> and Spritel's like, "Yeah, but the monkey parts aren't. They're in monkey." <laughs> yeah. It's it's that little and and even towards the end of the film, you know, when you're going to get the big, I don't know, smooch fest between Speed and Trixie, and all of a sudden they jump on and talk about cooties. That's pretty great. All of all of their parts that they're in it, again, Susan Sarandon is probably the best dramatic performance. And I don't know if I would call uh That's Chim Chim. Well, okay. But I, I don't know if I would call Chim Chim and Spritel like the best performance. <laughs> but I, I gotta tell you, it's the most the memorable performance of yeah. the film. Those yeah. two are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so unfortunately, I, uh, sorry, Brad. Unfortunately, no. the 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 thing you want to be most memorable, I think, is speed and racer X. And yeah. That it worked for me, but it doesn't work completely. I agree, a hundred percent. 
I'm sure Brad agrees. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No. Definitely. <laughs> and the uh, the payoff at the end is some of the most offensive filmmaking I think I've ever seen. Yeah, so. it's a bit anticlimactic in a weird way. Yes. I, even I I remembered that from the first time I saw it. I remember thinking, well, that's a you know your guys' show is more PG than my show, but it, it's a bit of a uh, it's limp. Yes. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I gotta way say. Of saying it. Yes. No, I, I agree. Yep. <laughs> it's a cold fish. It's just so yeah. Uh, so I mean, in the in the in the TV show, like Speed is not necessarily the best racer on the track. Trixie and Racer X help him win his races all the time. It's like kind of like a fluke thing that he wins um, here. It's like, he's the best. And then racer X is his brother. And it's the reveal is there, but it's kind of always known that it's his brother here. It's like, they say he's not his brother because he got plastic, plastic surgery, surgery yeah. to change his face. But, yeah. but I'm okay with that because how they, they I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How are you okay with that? <laughs> Again, the, the plot and the reveals and the mystery. Sorry, my levels weren't crazy. I've never seen it go that bad. I'm sorry. You said you're okay with that. And that is absolutely blowing my mind. Go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm okay because I'm not looking at this from the standpoint of a big mystery reveal or from a plot perspective. I don't know if this one really has one. I really do think it's the emotional arc of it. So where you start the first 30 minutes and you see him trying to catch the ghost of his brother, that last race, I, I could care less if it bank, bankrupts the Royalton car company or whatever. That last sequence is about him coming to terms with, you know, I guess catching his brother's ghost and even surpassing it. Because you remember in the first 30 minutes. I mean, he's, he's about ready to beat that track record, but he lays off of it because he wants to honor the memory of his brother. You, you get to that last race. It's really about the emotional arc of speed where I think the film works. The plot doesn't work. Like the, the places that take you from point A to point B to point C. Yep. They're visually cool. There's some interesting car foo going on, but what really sells it and what I think makes some of the scenes exciting is the stuff that's going on with the characters more so than what's going on outside of the car. Hmm. But the brother's not dead. He's not honoring anybody because the brother's not dead. But Brad, it, internally, he's internally <laughs> doing it. <laughs> I, I think the mistake they made was, I think they should have shown that flashback with the plastic surgery and stuff. I think they should have shown it earlier. I think it would have invested the audience more. It would have been more believable if he was wearing Nick Cage's face and it was like a face-off, like, tie-in or something it was ridiculous well first of all if it had been nick cage in that film this film probably awesome. this yes, film probably, probably would have made another hundred million dollars probably yeah. in some way yeah i think everybody back talking then about anyway this. back yeah, then anyway more than uh, leaving can, las vegas can i ask a question though <laughs> yes brad okay is this film a dig at studio interference hmm. by the wachowskis is it a dig so Wow. Are they going after big studio interference in movies? Because hmm. look at the plot of this movie, how there's like this kind of small independent, so say we made the movie for, you know, we made a movie for about $65 million that turned into the Matrix, right? Right. And then all of a sudden corporations come in and they're forcing us to do more. So now we're not wanting to, but we're going to because, you know, we can kind of fund our next 20 years of filmmaking. So we have to sell out essentially. And we make the matrix reloaded, which makes a bunch of money. And even 
Revolutions makes a bunch of money, but not as much. But is this them kind of coming back and saying, hey, corporations are, I mean, obviously corporations are bad, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, is this their kind of symbolical way of showing that, you know, corporate interference is actually a negative thing? Hmm. I, I never looked at, I I feel like the Wachowskis gravitate towards anti-authoritarian topics. Yes, but this is heavily into like corporations. And I mean, they even talk about stock manipulation and all. I mean, they're going yeah. above and beyond just like your normal, Hey, let's merge these two companies together. Like they're showing that, you know, if, I mean, I just feel like they're taking it one step further. Than- I think there's a message there because the whole idea of why speed succeeds at the end is finding the reason for himself, why he wants to race because he even asks, you know, his brother, AKA racer X or whatever, you know, why go on that track? And and he tells speed, well, you got to find that out for yourself. Right. Mm. So it's there. I don't know if it's a dig against corporations, but I don't know. There's, there's such, I really do think they're going for a specific visual style and visual storytelling and they're challenging how we watch movies. I 100% believe that. Mm. I believe between the editing and what they're putting in front of you, they're really forcing you to, from a narrative standpoint, take a step back and go, we're doing something very untraditional. But I think to your point, Brad, I don't know if it's so much against corporations, but I think part of the subplot is you've got to do this thing, which in that case is racing and maybe you know, what they're really saying is filmmaking or something of that nature. You got to do it because you love it, not because you're going to win a trophy, not because you're going to make money, but find the reason why you're going to do it and then hold on to that. And you won't fall, you know, to corruption or (laughs) the corporations take care of itself, et cetera. It's all going to, it's all going to work out. So I don't know if it's necessarily a dig against corporation, but I really think that the thing that this movie has that not enough people talk about is this movie's about artistic integrity mm. more so than anything else. I, they're doing it from an editing perspective. They're doing it from a visual style. They're doing it from a storytelling style. How many movies tell a story the way this movie does? <laughs> Not a lot. I mean, I respect that too, but... I do. And I, I think what you're picking up is not, hey, this is a dig against corporation, but it's maybe a call to arms to say, as an artist, you got to stick to your integrity. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, a film that you guys both like that I don't like, uh, I'm more of the, I'm on Charlie's side with this one, if I remember correctly from listening to the show, but Scott Pilgrim, which is a film very much like this, is a movie I don't like. And I don't know what it is. It just doesn't speak to me. It doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I feel like Brad feels right now, uh, in that regard. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and th- I, I think the film is saying that. But I don't think it's it's banging you over the head with it. Oh no, not at all. I think I, it's, I, it's kind of yeah. back in the background. But again, I think it goes back to that Wachowski thing of transformation and personal perseverance for art's sake. I think they're guys. Forgive me for saying that. I know. The, yes. The, the siblings are. You know. I'm, anyway, I've just dug a hole for myself. Please. Oh no, hey, dude. I, <laughs> look, that's that's why I I preface it at the beginning. Yeah. At the time, so you know. Me. Yeah. They're they're just. There's going through yeah transformation right yeah but I think 
you know, if you look at Bound, Bound's a very artistic film in a lot of ways. It's a $6 million movie. It's a small movie. They're doing things. They're strapping cameras to actors. They're, they're, they're being very creative and it's a very creative movie. It's, it's a big impact, uh, on, on independent film at the time. It was pretty, pretty, pretty profound. Matrix is also, Matrix is like this fetishized version of American movie violence that, Americans had not seen. It was more like what Asians were kind of doing. John Woo and yeah, yeah there's wire food and all that stuff. Yeah, that all all that stuff in there. Again, those films to me feel like they're trying to find themselves. This feels to me like what they always felt. This it's like a film version of what they've always felt they are. This I don't I don't even know how to say it in words, but uh, it, it's got this this overall feel of glee to it this happiness that they are able to create this thing and, and live in this world. And I don't know how big a fans of speed racer they were. I didn't do a lot of reading for this podcast. Forgive me, but um, I don't know how big a fans they were of the original show, but it does capture. And which is why I said Looney Tunes, it does capture that world of animation where it seems like everything, even when it's dangerous, it's kind of safe. And I, the corporation is the bad guy. And I can see that question. Brad asked is a good question, but I don't feel like that's what they were trying to do. I think it just kind of came through. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I would, again, I'm like you, Sammy, I don't know if they 100% gravitated the material and said, Hey, I grew up on this cartoon. I want to make it. Uh If you look at the development trajectory of this thing, starting in 92 and being passed from director and star and producer and everything else, Warner Brothers gave it to them and kind of said, hey, we've had this property sitting around from 92. Can you make something of it? I, I don't know if they looked at this and said, oh, we love that cartoon. We we would just die to kind of make a, a live action movie of it. I think they looked at it and said, hey, we like the style of that cartoon. We can do something with this. And again, I think they looked at it as a way to maybe push the boundaries of narrative um, through visual storytelling and editing. Yep. And there's a script there and there's there's a plot, but I really think the the emotional beats and the visual style, I mean, we kind of alluded to it at the beginning, but I wouldn't say necessarily it's all style over substance. I actually think there's some some substance there. I just think the substance is inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. I can get behind that. I like that. That's, that's- I think this is the most conflicted I've been in a long time about a movie. <laughs> because <laughs> it's got so much that i like but i mean but I, but, I, but I think that's okay i think that's that's fine i think that's you know that's a honest reaction to it right i mean yeah yeah it kind of gets into the kind of thesis of your all show in a lot of ways why did this bomb well i mean it, it i think it's i think it's a uniquely odd movie uh, it's it, it didn't speak to anybody at the time i mean it spoke to enough people but i i just think it's a weird it's this weird movie that came out that I, obviously Warner Brothers wanted it to be a hit, but yeah. I mean, I don't know how this thing could have been a hit. <laughs> I don't exactly. know either. And, and even if you listen to interviews with them, they don't, again, it's hard to find interviews about it, but I think they made the active choice to say, let's make a kid's film mm-hmm. because we know that they're more receptive to different narratives and different ways of telling a story and again, if you're looking for a plain Jane contemporary way of, I don't know, putting a sports movie within the theater, this this is not 
the way to go. Mm-hmm. If, if you're looking for, I don't know, even <laughs> a Wachowski action film, it, it's not in here either because they push the boundaries of that action. Yeah. It is very kinetic. It, it is very much all over the place. But to me, it's the editing that saves it from being just a total mess. I think yeah. they do a, a really good job of it. Um, and I want to talk about the action for a second. You know, the, the Carfu, it's, it's never realistic, but it's fun. I, I really do think it's fun. And again, I think the editing saves it. It would be fun if like it wasn't the same <laughs> thing over and over, man. Like they just keep doing the same stuff. Well, the, How many the times des- are you going to see a car spin around in a circle? The pogo jump. <laughs> the pogo <laughs> jump. Well, they do some interesting things to it. Um, yeah. But I think I think the best car sequences happen in the desert and in that middle racing sequence when you get the cars kind of There's no using- concept of time when they race. <laughs> like they'll have this, <laughs> they'll be racing uh, and there'll be an action set piece that's five or six minutes long and then they speed away. And they're just barely behind the other people. It's like that's yeah. not how racing works. <laughs> is that? But is that how the cartoon worked? <laughs> yeah, but okay, shut up then. <sighs> well, I, I mean, I think there's there's a part during one of those races where a wheel falls off or something falls off and it circles around like a big bowl that looks like a big drain. Yeah, uh, that says a lot about this movie. Uh, <laughs> not, so that not, was like not, his little. It was his escape. Like, yeah, that was one of the ones where they actually showed someone like in a ball. I think like the, a little hamster ball, and I think that was him. Yeah, escaping the explosion. I think one of the weirdest experiences in this movie, though, and it, and I say this because I did not recall it at all. At some point, a character pulls a gun out. Yeah, and I, yeah, there is a lot of gun and, violence in this movie. And I completely forgot there was even guns in this movie. <laughs> oh, there's machine guns and everything else with that whole well, I exp- trailer. I remember the car there. guns. I remember yeah. the car guns. I, I can get behind that all day. But I, one guy, you know, the one guy, he gets out a handgun. He's firing away right at the right at speed or uh, at Trixie, I think. Yeah, and she's got you know they're putting up these bubbles and things like that. I mean, all that stuff works uh, for me. Uh, it is. I can understand. It is. It does seem like the same things over and over again, but I don't know. It, it gave me a sense of speed, uh, for lack of a better word, and a sense of energy that I think the film kind of needed. Yeah, well, what, I what guess. You- I guess, and then, and then, to be to be fair, if you go back and watch the 1966 original cartoon, because of you know the way it was animated, they use the same. You know, they'll they'll copy a sequence. And use it in a different show, and then they'll use that again in a different show in a different episode. Right. So they're reusing some of that stuff. So that I mean, you could kind of say, ah, you know, they're kind of using that. They're using the same sequence over and over, like they used to do in the cartoon. But I'm not buying it here because that was a time and budget sort of thing in the '60s, as opposed to now, which you know you should be able to come up with yeah cool action stuff in cars. But well, the the one when you're making a when you're making a movie about speed racer, it should be cool and have cool car stuff in it. Yeah. And I'll give you that. I'll, I'll say this, the car stuff started to get a little boring in about the middle of it, because you're right. You do see some of the same stuff. Yeah. And and that's when they made the brilliant move to throw some ninjas in the film. And I absolutely <laughs> freaking love that sequence uh. when pops is fighting the, the ninjas and he's spinning them around and throwing stars are coming out. It, it, that uh, here's the other thing where more like, I compared, more like nonjas, right? <laughs> yeah. Nonjas. <laughs> this reminded me of Dick Tracy more than anything in that. I don't. So full disclosure, I watched speed racer and I had this whole Dick Tracy vibe. So I, I said, you know what? I'm gonna go back and watch Dick Tracy and man, I love that film. 
But if you remember Warren Beatty and some of the fisticuffs that go on, it is that very <laughs> 30s, 40s where, you know, the arm is coming way back and they're oh, hitting. Yeah. And if you remember in the beginning of Dick Tracy, he's fighting like the guy um, that is taking care of the kid and they're having the, you know, over the watch and the chicken. And so you've got these punches going back and forth in that shack going left to right. And he finally knocks him out. It captures that, you know, 30s, 40s, Dick Tracy style action sequence. And I feel like the ninjas and that whole pop wrestling scene, it felt like something you would see in a 60s cartoon. It's a lot of fun. And, and even the sequence where they pull over and they're going to make a switch and the mob shows up and you get this big fight sequence where everybody's participating. Again, it felt like something out of a, a 60s cartoon. I, I thought those action sequences really break up a little bit of monotony that does happen within the car sequences. And, and they're placed perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some pretty good scenes. I mean, some pretty good Wachowski foo yeah. uh, scenes in here. And, and again, it's the editing that pulls it together. Yeah. I, I cannot say that enough. I'm so in love with the film editing of this thing. Yeah. Um, hey, I, uh, what? hey. Yeah. Why was Rain happy at the end of this movie? Why was he happy for Speed Racer? You shouldn't have been happy for him. <laughs> Why should he not be happy? He was happy he was, that the Wachowskis are going to rehire him for something else. Oh, yeah, he was getting a deal for Ninja <laughs> Assassin or whatever. Okay, continue with your question, <laughs> no, Troy. But no, but I mean, I, I think you raise a valid point. I think it's like a little moment of brotherly uh, comeuppance, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I got to agree with you in some regard, Brad. I mean, it's, I don't think you needed that little smirk from Ray. Yeah. <laughs> so it's confusing. I, I only watched the one episode of the cartoon. This, but I have a question for both of you. Do you have to have some knowledge of the cartoon to appreciate this film? Or can you go in without knowing that this came from a 60s cartoon? Hmm. I don't think so. Yeah. I, to me, they kind of follow the cartoon quite a bit really close until they don't. And then it, that's kind of jarring. It's usually you get like, oh, we're going to take our liberties with this property. and But here they're they're doing a lot of things almost to the T. And then they change up. Well, they don't, but do you think they do with Racer X? Um, so that's just jarring because even when they reveal it not to be his brother at the begin <laughs> to begin with, you're like, no, that's his brother. No, it's gonna be, no, no, no. You weren't uh, falling for it, Brad. No, no. So that was it, it. Was just jarring. So yeah, I don't. I don't think so. And honestly. The, the cartoon doesn't hold up too well. So um, yeah. can we talk about the cartoon? I, wa- I watched the very first episode. So obviously <laughs> I didn't watch all 50. 52. I, I, 52. Okay. So I, I watched the first one. Um, that theme song. So Dude. listen, it, I love what they did with the theme song in terms of the uh, orchestral piece within the film. I think it works. But just even hearing that theme song one episode, I, I don't know if I can make it 50. I'm not saying it's as terrible as the Firefly theme song. Don't get me wrong. That's the worst theme song ever made for a TV show. <laughs> but 50 episodes of that theme song, I, I might get there. But here's, here's the thing I don't understand. Why does everybody in the cartoon deliver five to six lines of dialogue so quick and never pauses I mean, they talk very, very quick and they have this monotone and they just keep going. I'm, when I'm listening to the dialogue in the cartoon, I'm holding my breath. Yeah. It, it, does that happen through the entire series? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's how <laughs> dubbing works back in the day. Okay. So it, 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 did the Japanimation 
did they deliver their lines that, that way or is that just the American dubbing? I, I, I don't know. I've only seen the American dubbing. Yeah, I wonder if it, I wonder if it's a syllable thing. I wonder if Japanese language has less syllables and they had to get their more dialogue in quicker. I wonder if that's the case. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I re- I remember it being a very scream heavy show. It, it was and like everybody's really they shout yeah. and they talk to each other just speed. Let's do this speed speed. Yeah, that that's all it is. And then I think it's funny that you guys um, had mentioned about the politics. Or the boardroom and and you know the stock and everything else. That's in the very first episode, right? It's over some engine, and you get this boardroom time. So I feel like they captured that from the '60s cartoon quite well. And uh, there's foot races that occur just to get to the cars. I would have liked <laughs> to have seen that beforehand. Yeah, that would have been cool. Uh, and you so I think Cannonball guys, didn't Cannonball Run did that though, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> God, we're dropping Jackie Chan references left and right today. Um, no. And you were talking about how many people died in the film. <laughs> I, what's yeah, funny is... Right off the track. Well, in the film, they always just, get in that little bubble thing. And not I, always. I feel like, oh, well, I... Okay. The but in the cartoon, track. like 150 people die in the first episode. They're flying <laughs> off the track and then there's just explosion. And you're just they're, like, well, that dead. guy's dead. Yeah, they're yep. dead, dead. Yep. So I feel like the 60s cartoon is way more violent. <laughs> Than just this. Now I've only watched one episode, so. Um. I, I, I like I said, I wouldn't say that nobody dies in Speed Race of the movie. It's just I think it's interesting that they don't really talk about it at all. Yeah, I just think that's an interesting approach to violence in movies. <laughs> I well, mean, it's it. I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, even the commentators are like, "Oh, he's not going to win that one." Like, yeah, he's dead. Yeah, it's it's a kids' <laughs> action film yeah. through and through. Mm-hmm. So they they're keeping it light. I don't know. I, I, I did. I'll say this, Brad. I did enjoy watching the first episode. I kind of want to go back and watch some more because I really dug the style of the animation, and you can totally see where that element kind of comes through and influences the film. So I, I was happy to watch it, but it it, it was a bit jarring. I got to mm. say, just yeah. Uh, yeah I, I don't know if the watching it in its native language of subtitles is better, but I kind I kind of I mean, it's over fifty it. years old. Yeah, yeah, I, I, but I enjoyed the dubbing. It was cool. What, what else about Speed Racer that I mean we didn't touch on that you guys? Um, I think uh, so. How did the effects hold up for you guys? I mean, the video game effects. Yeah, just the effects in general. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I think the whole point is to make them look like a cartoon, right? I mean, they're yeah. not supposed to be hyper realistic or no. anything like that. So it, you know, it's almost to that point where it's like, well, they're not supposed to look realistic, Real. so you can't really. So that I mean, that brings up a good point. I, I I often enjoy effects that are going for again. It goes back to that kind of cubism conversation where it's it's an altered reality or some type of augmented reality. So I think those films tend to age better than movies that try to be as realistic as possible. I I, so you, I listened to yeah. the Event Horizon episode not too long ago of y'all you were talking. Brad was talking about how the 4K looked like a PlayStation game, and I remember those early PlayStation games. They were so jagged, man. Like the camera would yeah. zoom in, and you'd see the the graphics catching up with each other as you know it was zooming in and stuff. And uh, yeah, so this one I think they they hold up quite well. Uh, I know. I mean, the entire film was shot on uh, behind with a green screen, pretty much. 
So yeah, in a short time period, I, I'm with you. You had mentioned at the beginning about a 4K release. Like mm-hmm. of all the films that I've watched recently, I'm begging for a 4K Dolby Atmos fully tricked out release of this film. Yeah, it ain't, it ain't gonna happen. It's it's got to man. We're we're gonna be like Nick and start writing to Criterion. <laughs> we're gonna get the Criterion for Speed Racer, the 4K edition. But I I loved it, and I think to your point, Spine Sammy, 502 Speed Racer. <laughs> I, I really. I thought the effects looked great, and it feels like every time I watch this, there's always some sequence where I'll pause it or go back and rewatch it. And for this time, it was, I don't know, that bleeding effect of when he's just, you know, doing a drift on the top of the track towards the end of the race, and it turned, it just starts to swirl. Mm -hmm. I just absolutely love that sequence, and there's, there's so much of that going on. And even when he's racing the ghost of his brother in the beginning, I I really like that effect and and what was going on. It it very much looks like a polished video game sequence, but everything between you know the editing with the commentators and what's going on in the in the you know cockpit of the car and everything else, it it just it looks fantastic. Like yeah. I'm begging, I'm begging for a 4K on this one. Yeah, yeah, I I, I would buy it. And it would sit on the watch pile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, I don't know what that says about me because I buy movies I don't like. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, again, another fun story. You're listening to the show. You guys both reminded me that A, I didn't own Ghost of Mars on Blu ray, and B, I didn't own the Thing prequel on Blu ray. So, I immediately after one episode, I can't remember what it was, I went online and bought those two. They were both on yeah. sale for five ninety nine a piece. I was yeah, like, I, hey, guess who bought uh, Ghost of Mars on Blu-ray last week? This guy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're talking about it. I'm like, oh, hey, that's on sale. I better, I better grab that. Yeah. Upgrade the DVD that I have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's funny. Upgrade, upgrading stuff you already have. That's uh, another rabbit hole. Yeah. Don't even yeah. I am getting divorced. Um, <laughs> well, hey, I think it's time to ask the question. So we've... And I'm really curious. I think Sammy and I are going to kind of end in the same place, but I'm, I know I see the, the torn, confused look that you're putting out there, Brad. So I'm going to start with our guests. This will give you a time to think about it a little bit. So Sammy, the question I have for you, we, we talked about this thing. Obviously, it bombed big time. It bombed financially. Critics did not fall in love with it. I think it's starting to get some love now, but the, the name of the show is Not a Bomb Podcast. What's your thought on Speed Racer? Is, is it a bomb? Should should it be getting the love that it's getting now? Uh, yes, it should be getting the love it gets now. Um, it's really tough to contemplate if it should have been a bomb or not. I mean, I I understand why it was. Uh, every time I watch it, I understand a little bit more why it was. I don't personally think it should be a bomb, but I, I totally understand that it was a bomb. I don't know if that's a good answer or not. Uh-huh. Do, you th- do you think it was released before it's time? Like for, for 2008, this movie mm-hmm. to come out, would it have done better another 10 years later? Like video games, you know, think about the, I don't know how video games look today versus 2008. Do you think, I don't know, our acceptance of that medium would have influenced people to go see this more is it the timing or was this just pick a year, release this thing, it's always going to be a bomb? Uh, I think with the story they have in place, pick a year, I think it's probably always, unfortunately, going to be a bomb. Okay. All right. I love the movie, but I just think I think it's too heady for a big budget audience. I just think I just think it is. 
I love. I mean, again, I I wish it wasn't a bomb, but I totally understand. Third time's a charm. I totally understand why it didn't really catch on. Yeah, I don't remember if there was merchandise or anything. Do you guys remember if they did? They try to do any toys? Did they try to do anything like that? There was a video game. I know. Yep, there was a video game. Two, I think maybe my Blu-ray came with a video game too. So mm. did it? Yeah. <laughs> There probably wasn't I'm, I'm trophies. Sure they or, probably wasn't trophies or achievements yet at this point. So I probably, probably wasn't. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> there was a time when I would play any piece of crap video game just to get the trophies or the achievements. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I was there. I was a trophy or two. Yeah. Oh, I got a platinum trophy in Mega Mind. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have it in Avatar? I don't have one in Avatar. I didn't go down oh. that road, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I got one in NCIS the game though. Oh, nice. <laughs> I didn't even. Okay. <laughs> It was a terrible I know experience. King, I know King Kong on the original uh, 360 was also very easy. Too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I got those. Yeah. I did do those. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, Brad, have you made up your mind? Are you ready I to have. answer the question? Okay, so, so, so Brad, 2008 for, Speed Racer, is it a bomb? So I'm going to take a little for a little walk here, okay? Okay. Uh, do you remember the movie Christmas Story? Yeah. Okay, there's a part of the movie where he is required to write a theme about what he wants for Christmas. His Red Rider BB gun, yes. correct. And instead of just writing what he wants, he gets this whole grandiose thing written out. Yeah. And he turns it in and he thinks, this is the greatest thing this teacher is ever going to read. Yes. She gives it back to him. He gets a C minus. <laughs> that is Which, what? That is this movie. You're giving this movie a C minus? <laughs> yeah. So you have this easy premise. Yeah. <laughs> it's a softball premise. Hey. Let's make a movie. It's a cartoon about some people that race. And at the very end, the guy that you were racing with that was helping you turns out to be your brother. Boom. Instead, they make up, they, they try to hit this home run with corporate corruption and all this other stuff that is not needed. And they make it 135 minutes long, which is unreasonable. <laughs> so this movie is a bomb. And I agree with Sam, Sammy. Everything about this movie, every choice they made was not to make money. Like, this is the most <laughs> anti-corporate, like, we're just going to do stuff. Are you, are you saying Speed Racer was Wachowski's like, we're going to stick it to the man, so let's make every bad decision possible. No, not so every Warner, bad so decision. So wanted Warner like, Brothers to lose money. No, but it's just, it. I mean, it seems like, I mean. They made like a complicated kid. Why don't you throw aliens in there, too, since you've got a conspiracy theory going? Um, ever. But, no, it is a bomb. Oh my God! Did you like my Christmas story analogy? That was good. good. I like that walk. Could that was, be the that was really good. Could be the analogy for my life. Sometimes I <laughs> <laughs> feel like I'm doing really good, hon. Yeah, that was a C minus. Yeah, <laughs> that's my was marriage. That's my marriage in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm so proud of what I did. You see this thing I made? Yeah, yeah, whatever. It's a C minus. Oh man. Um, I'm gonna side with Sammy. Uh, it's it's a bright, beautiful, kinetic film with a fantastic monkey performance in ninjas. <laughs> so it's not a bomb by any means, but I 100% understand. And I'm kind of with you, Sammy. Pick a year, any year, and put this thing out. It's never going to do well at all. But again, I think the reason why it doesn't do well is it's 100% trying to, to challenge the typical moviegoer in terms of narration, storytelling, the whole nine yards. And, mm -hmm. and again, you can look at a, a Pablo Picasso painting, and I don't think it's for everybody, but I can say this, if you, if you enjoy cubism, you'll, you'll love Speed Racer. That, that would be my <laughs> yeah, recommendation. There you go. I learned what that was tonight too. Yeah. There you go. 
Well, I think, art lesson. I think it's I'm a, not very coof when it comes to that stuff. I think it's a, you know it's a niche film, and I think that's the reason why it's become a bit of a cult classic now. And I think that's the reason why it's given this. It's been getting this kind of internet buzz. Certainly since I've been doing podcasts and everything like that, there's a lot of people coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, that all of a sudden love Speed Racer. And it's really kind of, it's one of those weird creations, a big budget movie that's kind of becoming a cult movie. It's usually small little independent movies, right? Yeah, it's the other way around, isn't it? Yeah. But it's really kind of becoming this cult movie. And I think the reason why is because it's it's so you it's so unique. I mean, it's, again, to its own detriment, I think. But it's just, it's so unique. And what it is. I mean, I totally get Brad's response to it. Like there's, I mean, I, I have that same response, like I said, to Scott Pilgrim. I, I can never, I even went back and watched it again. I was like, what does everybody see in this thing? And it just doesn't work for me. So you, you just never know. That's the great thing about movies and stories, right? It's all subjective. You never know, really know what you're going to love and what you're not going to love. Oh, well, yeah. Unless it's a Jackie Chan movie. Those are all fantastic. Pretty good. Yeah. I know we don't cover enough of them, Troy, but I'm a huge Jackie Chan fan. I know you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm still going to send in emails and letters. Yeah. Hey, we, more, more Jackie Chan. We, yeah, watch Iron Mask. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I thought about pulling the trigger on that this past weekend. <laughs> I, I did. Why Why not? Come on, man. Join the club. <laughs> is, is, it, is it any good? <laughs> One of us. Uh, let me, let, I'll let you know this weekend. I'm planning to watch it. So. There we go. There we go. Um. Well, that... Thanks, Sam. I had... I was so excited for today. You delivered the thunder, man. I I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking about Speed Racer. I I am a huge fan of you and your show and of you as a person. And I just I had so much fun tonight. I can't tell you that enough, man. Oh, thanks. I, I really appreciate that. And Troy, you know, is I, that, oh, go ahead, Brad. Is that a is that a K on your hat there? Yeah, Sammy? that is a K. For Kentucky? For Kentucky, yes. Nice. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. That's that's where I'm at. Born and raised, <laughs> and that's the way it is. Been a rough year. Been a rough it year. It has been. It yeah. has been. But, uh, no, I really appreciate the kind words. Uh, the reason why I started doing this, it was never for any type of internet fame or anything like that. It was just to talk movies with a guy that, Will, who we became friends, and we just wanted to do it. And then we realized there was a lot of people out there that like to talk about movies. And... Uh, I, I get that vibe from y'all show. I get that same early vibe that we had, that same, you know, here's a couple friends who just want to talk about movies. and The old, the old married couple that doesn't. Yeah. I, 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 but, I never. But, you know, but like I'll get off this call and I'll, I'll have like a regular high from it. And I love talking about movies and, you know, I wish I could spend all, well, not all my time. Obviously I am a dad, but uh, I wish I could spend a lot of time with my friends watching movies. Cause like Troy said in the opening, you know, one of the best experiences I ever had watching movies was in, was it Hocking Hills, Ohio? Hocking Hills, Ohio, yeah. yeah. I go to a campground. You're supposed to go to a campground and go outdoors and do things. And I ended up watching a lot of movies that weekend. <laughs> we got some hiking in. Yeah, but, I know yeah, you guys right. did. I, mean, I, I, yeah. I did not. I ended up sticking around because me and some other, it was me and Jake and Matt, I think. We just we just marathoned the hell. We were watching Sonny Sheba oh, movies. Oh, that's right, we you were, did, yeah. We were just watching all kinds of stuff. It was just one of those moments where you just could all get together and watch a movie. But yeah, no, it's fine. And I, oh, I got to tell you, together with people, man, yeah, yeah. the good old days. I miss no, that. your show is. Fan- I mean, Todd has been a great addition. I I miss the blog. I'm not going to lie. Todd yeah. was fantastic. I mean, everybody you had contributing to the to the to the blog was great. Yeah, but Todd has been such a fantastic addition to the show, and I love listening to it. 
it's it's one of those um I don't know it's comfort food but yeah. on top of that I am always surprised on how many things you guys bring to the table and it's taught me how to look at movies differently but more than anything it's it continues to provide this constant list of things I got to go buy so I can't uh, thank you enough for that well <laughs> it's feeding you're, the addiction you're, oh yeah you're repaying them in favors let me tell you man <laughs> I'm going to websites you're mentioning. I'm text, I'm messaging you saying, Hey, what's uh, the, and you're sending me other websites. I'm like, Oh man, oh, yeah. I gotta go here now. So, so much good stuff. And I, and, I, and of course it, being a good Samaritan, a good person like I am, what did I do? I immediately sent all that same information to Todd. Good. <laughs> and now Todd's going to be in the same thing. And, and Will used to be the same way. He's kind of, he's kind of curtailed off of it for a little bit now, but he'll give he'll, he'll come back. You can't oh, get away from Like I said, you guys are a magnificent trio and, I can't thank you enough for all you do in terms of putting that show out on a weekly basis. So for for your fans like us, I mean, we live for it. And I appreciate man, it. I'm it's, glad it's you're fantastic. still listening. I'm glad folks still are. Uh, sometimes we feel kind of alone out there because there's not a lot of people that watch older movies anymore. It just seems like it's kind yeah, of the, that crowd's the, kind of died down a little bit. It's the latest Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Just ask my wife. Latest Netflix movie, latest Netflix yeah. show, and and there's good stuff there. Don't get me wrong. It's just. I, people don't like talking about movies from the 40s and 50s and the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, Brad, um, if anybody wants to send us their recommendation or, heck, send us an email. And if you want to jump on the show, we'd love to have you. But how do they get a hold of us? That is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us on all, all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Instagram, Troy. I'm on Instagram, my personal one, but you're yeah, following I'm, me now. I'm so. going to unfollow you after <laughs> this show's over. <laughs> so what are, we, uh, what are we watching next week, buddy? Oh, so uh, no guests next week because next weekend is Valentine's Day. So I thought we'd have, you know, something intimate and, you know, just we are well, the old married couple that been together I don't together share for my Troy on Valentine's Day. Is this, is That's this, right. Is this when you decide to watch that anime I was talking about? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, Something more romantic. Uh, I, I did. Well, it depends I, on your perspective, I guess. I, that's true. <laughs> Although Brad doesn't like tentacles, so that was one hundred percent not in there. But might be one. I was looking proboscis too many. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for something that was you know go down the rom com or find something that bombed that might fit you know us. Because this is this is our first Valentine's Day together on Not a Bomb, even though this is probably like our twentieth Valentine's Day in real world, right? Nice. So there is a film that I wanted to talk about in December as part of like the best of twenty twenty, but the four K wasn't going to release till January. And I thought, man, I, I, there are a couple other films that I wanted to talk about anyways, and I thought this would be a great Valentine's movie. So next week, we are going to talk about 2020's Love and Monsters. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, well, you, you got to go buy it now and yeah. play along. Thanks, I'm Troy. telling you, it is. I Thanks. saw it in the theaters. <laughs> I think it was just me and Cameron in the theater by ourselves. And it was one of those films that immediately after I watched it, I knew I had to own it. The 4K is out there. It's a beautiful transfer. Um, but Brad, if if that's okay with you, we'll light a candle. You know, throw some music on. Talk love and monsters. How's that sound? <laughs> I look loving to you, lovingly into your eyes as we uh, discuss nice. it. Nice. Oh, I'm. I, <laughs> I got goosebumps. <laughs> well, Sammy. We appreciate you coming on, sir. It was a pleasure. No, it was good meeting up with you again after like 12 years. After yeah. We, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it, it was really great. I, I I told Troy today that I'm flattered that you guys would even uh, let me on. I know that you know Troy said all these nice things about me, and that that's all fine dandy. I don't handle that stuff very well. I almost turned the camera off when you started saying all these things. But <laughs> the truth is, uh, I'm always flattered when anybody wants to hear my opinion on anything. So I really appreciate it, and I think you guys are doing a great show. I think this is, I mean. It's my favorite show outside of our show. So, and I don't oh, listen. Dude, that's I don't crazy. listen to my show. <laughs> so, because I'm one of those guys who can't stand listening to myself. So, um, I love I love what you guys are doing. So, uh, thanks, man. Keep it up. Well, listen. Well, anytime you want to come on, you pick the movie, you pick yeah. the date. We'll have you on. Well, I'll, throw, I'll throw it even one further. Anytime you guys want me to come on, just reach out to me. I'll be an open door for you guys because I love what you're doing. Um, I love. I just I love you guys. I really do. Oh, we love you. Awesome. Sam. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. I hope your day is awesome. Our day has been absolutely awesome. But thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Leave us a review on iTunes or any, you know, any place where you leave reviews, I guess. I don't know how it works. Hell, I just figured out Instagram. But, um, <laughs> you know, with that, <laughs> I hope you guys have an, have an awesome day and we'll, we'll chat with you next week. Thank you. Have a nice day. Goodbye.